This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Welcome back, everybody, to Wrestling Omakase. It is episode number 178, and this week I am pleased to be joined by a returning guest. Hello, Haley. Hello. Uh, how have you been? Uh, you know, I mean, I, I live in the U.S., so, <laughs> you know, as well as I can be, I guess. Well. You know, considering all that's happened. We got, we got the rare bit of, uh, good news this week, I guess, here in America, but, uh, not that... Not that uh, not that this is like I don't know the right word to say. Not that this is like Biden campaign headquarters or anything, but sure as fuck is an improvement over what we had before. So, like when when like Joe Biden is the like massive improvement, that's like really bad. <laughs> well, we were I was joking around with my girlfriend yesterday because it's like they announced it on TV. Uh, you know that obviously that Biden had won. Uh, you know, we got the big, big the, the, all the networks called it pretty much at the exact same time. They were all waiting for everybody else to call it. It was really funny. But, uh, so they call it, and then, like, people fucking pile into the streets to celebrate. And it's like, do you know what a shitty president you have to be for people to pile into the streets to celebrate that Joe Biden beat you? It's like, <laughs> it's like, Jesus. Like, okay. Oh, my God. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like, it, those, those fucking, uh... Those, those scenes of like people in the, I, I really didn't expect that I don't know about you I had like when I when that, those images started coming up on TV of people in all these different cities celebrating I was like uh, I didn't see that one coming <laughs> I just really yeah didn't. I didn't either <laughs> I, I didn't it's like it's so funny because it's like they're not celebrating Joe Biden winning they're just celebrating getting rid of Trump yeah. which you know is already like very difficult thing because he's saying he won't so yeah. we'll see it's we'll a grift. see how they eventually get him out of it. It's a grift, though, because if you look at these, he's sending out these emails to his supporters, like asking them for help, 
um, you know, for like these legal fees, but, uh, you know, for like to, you know, to try to go to court and have it overturned. But if you go all the way to down, look at the very, very fine print. Do you know what it says there? What? Up to 50% of your donation can be used to pay down the Trump campaign's debts. Oh my so, God. so if you get if some fucking rube who thinks Donald Trump is going to turn overturn this donation gives twenty dollars, Trump can take ten of that and use it to pay off his fucking campaign debts to pay the sound guy from his rallies or whatever the fuck. Like okay, <laughs> it's just one, it's just one last grift. So you know, because because like if they were really going to overturn anything, like you you would have the actual Republican legal establishment out there. You wouldn't have. Fucking Rudy Giuliani and four four seasons landscaping. Did you see that? I was I laughed so hard when I saw that. I was like, like the fact that it's like next to like an erotic bookstore is like the real icing on the cake. Someone went into into the erotic bookstore to ask the owner what he thought, and he's like, I don't understand why this is even happening or happening. He's like, I don't understand why it's happening here, but I don't understand why it's happening at all. I mean, he lost, and it's like, yes, the erotic bookstore man knows. <laughs> you know? But, uh, yeah, there, I, there really isn't much danger of Trump overturning this, I don't think. But no. you have to get, There's like, only four... a danger of him, like, physically not, <laughs> like, refusing to leave. Yeah. And, like, having to be, like, dragged out. I mean, like, that would be awesome if they live stream it. Just, like, just have two <laughs> big big dudes just drag him in. But, no, I, I think I my, my, uh, my hot take... And we'll see if this is right. And I'm sure people don't want a lot of election talk, so I'll move on to this. But my hot take is he concedes this week. That's my hot take. I think uh, I think the concession will happen. But maybe I'm... Uh, I, I think it'll be like a terrible concession. I think it'll go on TV and be like, this was stolen from me. Ah, it was terrible. But it'll be a, a de facto concession, you know? But... I think you're very optimistic. <laughs> well, we'll see. But, uh... I mean, at some point, he's going to have to get the fuck out, so we'll see. But do you see that, the, the fireworks and, like, drone display from one Biden uh, one? I remember, like, yeah. choking. I don't know if I want to remind everybody about drones, but uh, sure. <laughs> not, sure. Not what, not what I would do. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be like, maybe don't have the drones. <laughs> maybe. Maybe not. Yeah, maybe let's not do that. Uh, anyway, so that's the U.S. election. That's what's been going on here. Um, do you know how fucking I? I can't, like when I think about this. If I turn on Japanese TV, right, like which I do sometimes, or turn on HK World or something, and they're talking about the American election, I'm just like the rest of the country or the rest of the world. I mean, must be so goddamn sick of hearing about this American election. Like this was bad enough for us. For, you know, to, to have to have this drag on from Tuesday to Saturday. But, like, if you live in any other country and you have to hear about this, this fucking election for five straight days because, you know, America's the fucking world imperial power and all that. Like, you, you must fucking be ready to, like, kill somebody. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's like, I can what? imagine. Like, I'm ready to just, like, like <laughs> punch my television, you know. Like, I don't even watch election coverage because I know it's just anxiety-inducing. I'm just, like, I just, like, told my mom, I'm, like, just tell me when when they call it, you know, I'm going to sit here and watch anime and wrestling. <laughs> um, I, I sat there and, but, watched, and watched all the coverage like an idiot, so I just couldn't, well, I couldn't well, turn away. I ended up seeing some of it because my mom had it on, and, like, you know, sometimes I'd, like, you know, not be watching anime or wrestling, and then I'd... I'd look up, and I think the strangest thing I saw 
was that apparently Rick Santorum is on American <laughs> television. Rick Santorum, I, I, I don't even know what to say about him at this point. He would go, I don't know if the, the man, like, if he has split personalities or something, but, like, one segment he would be like, you know, Trump really does have to uh, stop it with this rhetoric and blah, blah, blah. And the next thing he'd be like, you know, Trump maybe does have a point, And, you know, you have to count these. I'm like, which is it, man? Like, are you ready to trust Trump out? It's like he kept going back and forth every time they would cut to that little round table. It's very bizarre. It's like I think he's just, I think he's just traumatized <laughs> from every time he googles his name and what comes up. Yeah, that's a good point. Don't 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 Google Rick Santorum's name, folks, unless you want to see some graphic stuff. Uh, <laughs> I forgot about that until you mentioned it. <laughs> see, that's why I'm like. I can't believe he'd, he'd show up on national television. Like, I'd just... If someone did that to me, I would just, like, never leave my house. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, but, yeah. <laughs> that was that was election week here in... Uh, do you know, by the way, someone estimated if if America did a popular vote... Um, America did, like, just decide their election by the popular vote. Do you know when this would have been called? When? Like, Tuesday at 10.30. <laughs> okay so uh if we were like a normal country we would you know would have been over uh many many days ago but and the hilarious thing is i've seen multiple trump people like trump fans uh actually say unironically they should get rid of the electoral college it's like oh no (laughs) this electoral college is the only reason why it was this close buddy you don't you don't act if you are if you're a republican you do not want them to get rid of that that's that would be bad for you, but uh, don't tell them that. Like, <laughs> let's let them think that. I think yeah. I, I, I think they're onto something. Yeah, we gotta we gotta get this movement going. Just by we can call it bipartisan. Get rid of the electoral college. Uh, if there, there's a there's a there's an account on Twitter I cannot stop looking at. It's like oh god, what is it, like coping MAGA or something where they're like oh they're, I've seen that <laughs> they just have all these fucking people, all these like MAGA people and like how they're having these meltdowns. Uh, I shouldn't enjoy it, but I do. Maybe if they didn't spend four years like wearing T-shirts that said like "Trump 2020, fuck your feelings," it's like wow. Well, <laughs> uh, now, now, and then you see all these tweets online where it's like we need to be very uh, respectful of their feelings. It's like, well, no, like no. <laughs> they spent the last four years saying "fuck your feelings," and now it's like, please, please give them some time and some space, and don't take joy and. Uh, their downfall. It's like, well, no. It's like that. It's like that tweet. You know that tweet that goes like, uh, "Me sowing, ha ha. This is awesome. This is great." And a me reaping. What the fuck? This sucks. <laughs> like that's that's basically the Trump people for the last four years. So basically, it's <laughs> like it's like you know. I just want to like you have to look at them and tell them that the facts that Biden won. Do not care about their feelings. Indeed. But, uh, you know, we saw... <laughs> I went through, like, a... We, got, we really should move on, but one last thing. I went through a thread. Uh, I don't know if you've bothered looking at this, but, like, their electoral fraud claims, and they are hilarious. <laughs> like, really incredibly funny. Like, there's... The, my favorite one is they, they show this footage, okay? Now, I want, I want to set this up for everybody. There is a camera... In most of these, uh, like, voting rooms where 
you know, I think in all of them, but in a lot, because it varies by state, like everything else in stupid country. But there's a camera in a lot of these rooms where they're tabulating these ballots, right? Where they're counting them and, you know, processing them. And some of them even live stream it. So these people were looking at a live stream of, I think it was Georgia, I don't know. And they were like watching them do something and were like, aha, they must be doing fraud here. Because I think they were filling something out or throwing something out. I don't even know. So they think that an election worker would go into a place where they know they're being not only filmed, but live streamed and start committing election fraud. It's like, I'm like no, that's not how this would work. No one's going to be like, I have a secret plan. I will live stream my secret plan to the entire world. Now, of course, people came out and said, this person is just doing what's called, I think it's called like, uh, I forgot the term, but basically there's a ballot that you can tell who the fucking winner is, you know, who the, how it was supposed to be marked, but like it won't go through the scanner for some reason. So they will take another empty ballot and like copy your ballot onto it basically, is what they were doing. But no, they were obviously committing electoral fraud uh, on live stream for anyone to see. So that's my favorite one. It's like, that's, that's not how this would work, guys. But uh, I think if they if they had a secret plan, I think they would, uh, you know, <laughs> come up with a better secret plan than doing it uh, live for the entire world to see. But they probably also maybe win the Senate, too, if they were going to cheat. But, you know, nobody... Uh, and I don't know. <laughs> the fraud stuff is so stupid that I don't even know what to say to it. So uh, let's go to wrestling, though. So we yeah. got three shows to talk about. Uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling, Power Struggle, DDT Ultimate Party, and Tokyo Joshi Pro Wrestle Princess. I thought all three of these shows were awesome. Um, I get the feeling that that is not a consensus opinion for the Power Struggle, especially. But I will. Yeah, I mean... I, I definitely thought the DDT and Tokyo Joshi shows were, like, amazing, like, perfect. But New Japan, um, I mean, I didn't, like, hate everything. <laughs> but I kind of just, the things that I hated, I just really strongly hated. And I didn't have anything that I, like, particularly was like, yeah, this is amazing. Yeah, see, for but me, yeah. there, was, there were a few matches I really, really liked. I There's... There's a booking decision that I'm sure we'll agree was pretty bad, uh, which we'll talk about, and I'll you know give some reasons and all that. Uh, to me, I can separate like booking decisions from match quality. I thought the matches on this show were really good. Since we're going to start with Power Struggle, by the way, so that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, this was Saturday, November seventh, from the Idion Arena, Osaka. Uh, attendance of two thousand eight hundred thirty-four. I assume that was a sellout. Uh, but, you know, who even knows anymore in the COVID era? I, I mean, I, I guess that sounds right for, like, half full uh, Idion Arena. Um, the opening match, which you did not see, so I'll go over it really quickly. Uh, Toriano defeating Zack Sabre Jr. in 12-11 to retain the provisional KOPW 2020 in a no-corner pads match. Uh, first of all... <laughs> First of all, okay, I, I have to go back and watch this eventually. <laughs> I didn't know that that was the rule. That was the rule. They took off all the corner pads. Now, oh my god, I don't understand why to this day. Why we didn't have to have a vote over the stipulation here? I thought that was the entire point of this fucking trophy. But Yano just said no corner pads, and Zach was like, okay. So I like but Yano's the one who said no yeah, corner pads. Yeah, Yano's the one who said no corner pads. Uh, uh, Self sabotage. But yeah, he so the, the the really really funny part of this match was pretty early, where Yano 
because remember, there's, he usually takes off the quarter pad. There are no quarter pads. So he started trying to put one back on, which I'm just <laughs> like, that is really funny. It's nonsense. I mean, why would he do that? But he was doing that. So it was really fucking funny. Uh, and it leads to an awesome spot where Ziano throws Zach into the quarter that he put the pad back on. The way he always shows people into the corner without the pad, and Zach hits it. And Zach has amazing comedic timing. His, his facial expressions are so funny. And he hits this corner, hits his corner pad, perfectly fine. It's nice and soft to protect him. And he looks at Yano like, "What was that supposed to do? That didn't actually hurt, buddy." Which I thought it just—it was such a great reaction. Um, but yeah, as far as like, this was nowhere near as good as their G1 match. I, I still think that match was like an actual like four-star match. This was like really funny in parts and the finish was kind of clever with uh, Yano. So so Zach had Yano in a leg hold in the railing and he would not... He, his idea basically was to hold on this leg hold and then like let it go and then rush back to the ring and Yano wouldn't be able to get back in. I think that's how he beat him in the G1 actually, so that makes sense. Um, but here... He ties Yano while he's in the hold, ties Zach's shoelaces together, and he like Zach lets go of the hold to let to go back to the ring, but uh, he can't get free of the railing because his shoelaces are tied like around the railing. And Yano rolls back in and he wins by count out. So kind of funny. Zach threw an epic hissy fit at the end, just as you'd expect. Mm-hmm. Like like I love when Zach throws a hissy. Like Gabriel, Gabriel Kid came over to try to help him get untied, and as he's tied to this railing, remember he needs to get untied. He's so mad he beats the shit out of Gabriel Kid anyway while still tied oh. to the railing, which is so fucking funny. Uh, three stars, and then you know it's what I get the matches a rating, I guess. But it was it was pretty funny. And then Uriamura comes over with scissors to cut Zach free. Zach gets the scissors and like threatens to stab him all the way to the back, <laughs> and it's like okay. He is not a happy camper, but there you go. Uh, so fun little opener, definitely not like, uh, not like I said, not as good as the G1 match. So uh, match two was Shingo Takagi defeating Minoru Suzuki in 1856 uh, with the last of the Dragon to become the new never open weight champion. Uh, his second reign at that title, obviously. I I really thought like Suzuki might win this. I thought they would maybe try to stretch this out to Wrestle Kingdom, but I guess we'll have to see now who the Shingo. Uh, never challenger will be for Wrestle Kingdom because I, I I don't know. Can you think of anybody? I can't think of anyone obvious. Well, I mean, I haven't really been watching New Japan this year, so I don't know. <laughs> I can't think of anyone who would be like an obvious challenger. It's something I've been thinking of. Like like Taichi obviously is busy with the tag titles. Uh, <laughs> a lot of other people have feuds already. I mean, that's kind of why I thought that Shingo and Suzuki might do one more until Wrestle Kingdom, but. Anyway, this is a really good match. Uh, I would say right in between the Jingu match and the G1 match, which uh, Jingu I went four and a quarter on. G1 I went three and three quarters on. This one is a four-star match to me. Like, you know, very physical and hard-hitting. The only maybe little complaint I would have, there are a couple little flaws. Um, like, there, there was one spot where Shingo, like, throws this super hard elbow that cracks Suzuki right in the face. And then immediately after, Suzuki... Completely whips on a dropkick, missing by, like, about 50 feet, which Shingo had to sell anyway. And it was like, I don't know. Uh, like, to, to having that come right after Shingo fucked him up with that elbow is just kind of funny. But it definitely was a, a bad a bad dropkick. But they, they did a camera cut, which kind of hit how, bit it, how bad it was, but uh, only a little. 
Um, Probably would have been amusing if like he didn't sell it. Yeah. Yeah. They should have just gone with that. I hate when like they clearly botch, but they like sell it anyways. I think you, most of the time it looks ridiculous. So yeah, it's a big problem in WWE matches. If I remember, if I remember correctly, because I haven't watched them in yeah. a million. I haven't watched them that in was, a million that years. Was, that but... was one of the reasons I had to stop watching WWE. <laughs> that happens so often. Yeah, uh, there was like another little sloppy spot toward the end where Suzuki. I don't know. He's supposed to get hit by a standing lariat, but like he just kind of stumbled forward. I, hard to describe, really, but it just looked very bad. But the rest of this match was awesome, um, you know. So I went four stars on it. Like just the exact type of match you'd expect from these two. They had a really crazy no sell sequence at the start, uh, or toward the start, with like you know Suzuki even like no selling the pumping bobber, and then they both just like collapsed in their two corners. That was probably the height of the match. But uh, good little closing stretch too. Like I said, four stars, awesome match, but not not quite as good as the Jingu match, in my opinion. But I don't know if you have anything to add on this one. Uh, no, because I really only saw the last, like, I think, like, five minutes of this match. Okay. And, I mean, it was fine. I mean, I didn't hate it, and so it's, it's, it held my attention well enough. I'm not, I'm not really a big Shingo fan, so I don't really have any strong feelings about this. But, I mean, I can tell that for people who like that kind of match... I mean, it was, it definitely, they hit hard and it, it definitely, you know, worked. Uh, match number three, Kazuchika Okada defeats the Great Okan in 12.58 by referee stop with a uh, money clip. Um, <gasps> <laughs> fucking money clip. Okada, right at the start, he made the mistake of turning his back on Okan to do his little pose, which lets Okan unleash his uh, rightful waifu fury on him. Over the Okada Steel and his waifu. Um, by the way, what I, I, I mean, look. I, some, if you like this, I guess you're gonna you're gonna you probably are gonna like be mad at me for this part. But what the fuck was Will Ospreay doing here? Like he looked oh my like God. he looked like walking up behind Okan, like looking like the biggest fucking little creep of all time. I guess that's I, he's a heel, so I guess it's fine. But like his promo after this match. I, like buddy i like i like halfway through it i just took out my earbuds because i could not listen anymore it was like excruciating like i i know that this will osprey stuff is so i god what what am i what am i trying to say here like people have made up their minds on will osprey and a lot of it has nothing to do with wrestling so i get that like you know people are gonna take this a certain way if you depending on how you i'm saying even if will osprey was a fucking boy scout, okay? Even if he never did anything wrong in his life, even if he did ne- never did a goddamn thing wrong in his life, that promo was so goddamn terrible. That was like watching AJ Styles do his fake Ric Flair act in TNA like nine years ago. That's how convincing it was. <laughs> this this fucking geek. Like, that's what we'll, Even if you like Will Ospreay, come on. He is a dork. He is a fucking... <laughs> wrestling dork and he's trying to pretend to be the goddamn nature boy and it was so fucking cringe it was so cringe like, so anyway I don't... Know, it, it was like so bad like i thought he was trying to do some sort of like english gentleman thing and i was like i don't buy this yeah it was like supposed at to be all. it was supposed to be like english gentleman meets rick flair and it was awful i mean completely unconvincing so I I, I don't know. This just, is just like the entire idea of this gimmick is so bad. Like the fact that the, his his stable is apparently called 
the Empire, and he's this British dude managing this, like, fake Mongolian guy. It's just the, 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 the horrible implications of all of this are just so bad that I'm like, no one caught this? No one thought, hmm, maybe this is, like, a little racist? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I mean... Did did you hear the the rumor? I, I think Voice of Wrestling broke out on the last show that like uh, apparently Chris Jericho was supposed to be in this group originally, <laughs> which is like, oh my god, uh, okay. <laughs> I mean, Chris Je- Chris I just, Jericho. I just suddenly lost like my will to like watch <laughs> anything associated with New Japan ever again. I like it's so. Oh my god! Jericho, I just felt my soul leave my body. A Jericho Osprey stable, yeah, that would have been really terrible. I'm glad. I'm glad that that didn't happen. But uh, oh but yeah, I didn't think it could get worse. <laughs> I didn't think it get worse than like B Priestley, but like no, it could. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this the match itself, which we haven't mentioned anything about at all. It was fine. I mean, I, I gave it like three and a quarter. You know, Ocon, even beyond like like this gimmick in general, has like like you said, a lot of issues <laughs> and then like, you know, I, I think he, even beyond that, I think he shows some flashes, you know, I mean, like there's some stuff where he looks, uh, he looks pretty good. There's some stuff where he looks pretty bad. It's just, it's really hard. I don't know. It's really hard to tell how good he is in this gimmick. I remember like, like, I, I don't know. I, I don't get why he's doing this, I guess. Like, like he's a really good amateur wrestler in real life. Like, why not just like let him, lean into that a little bit why are we doing like he never he can't do anything involving amateur wrestling in this gimmick and i don't know it's just there's some ridiculous yeah it's like i love goofy gimmicks most of the time but like this is like too far this goes into like i mean it just doesn't gel with anything else in in new japan and it's like even without osprey it's like pretty like you know, a, a little, a little offensive. Yeah. Uh, I guess. You I know, know, I spent, I like my like. I take notes while I read them. Like really, in this one, I took so many notes, and all of them are just me ranting about how much I hate this gimmick. Like, I think there are a few about how much I hate Will Ospreay, and then how much I hate Money Clip. But like most of this is just like I was so distracted by how much I hate this gimmick that it's like. Even when he was, like, doing something that was, like, oh, he's a good wrestler, I was, like, okay, but he just looks ridiculous. And he's doing these, like, like bad, like, like Chinese, like, martial arts B-movie, like, screams. And I'm, like, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. I love it's, it. like, the only thing missing is, like, some fake buck teeth or something. Like, this is terrible. It has, like, a – and this is, like, the rare time – I mean, that three and a quarter I gave it – is actually like well above the grapple average last time I checked, so it's not like this is landing with uh, the the fair patrons over there. Like, it's two point six seven right now, which is like ridiculously low for an Okada match. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's just I, I thought the match was fine, but like you know, Okan still looks a little raw. Uh, I mean, you know, even say pretty good, but like you know, there's some cool stuff in it, like Okada. Um, you know, like when he go, he gets the tombstone. Goes for the money clip and Ocon like went after his face with his taped hand to get out of it. I thought that was cool. And he like uh you know went for a claw slam and Okada countered midair to a arm drag, which looked pretty cool. Um 
there was this like really unique inverted brain buster that Okan did where he like held him up in midair for a long time. Um, you know, so like, like, like he showed some flashes here. Like there was that, uh, yeah. oh God, the, the reverse slam where Okan, uh, what, what was like a, like a, basically a face buster out of a backdrop suplex position that was unique that no one else really does anything like that. So there's some flashes, but like he, it's one of these things where like, they're going to have to tone this gimmick down as it goes on for him to really succeed. Like, you know, they, they, they are capable of doing that. I mean, if you look at like evil now compared to when he first started that, when he was doing like the hand lasers and everything, I mean, you know, they clearly toned back. Uh, but I, but I love that. So. <laughs> I just, I just <laughs> like, say. Goofy. That's why I said, like, it's goofy. But, like, that one I loved because it was, like, oh, he's just, like, a goth. Yeah. Whereas, like, no one goes around <laughs> dressed like that. Like, like whereas goths really do go around and and they're kind of that ridiculous. That's true. But, no, I was just comparing it, like, as an evil's gimmick has toned down over the years. Yeah. Which I think the same thing will probably happen with this. But uh, right now, yeah, it's I think a they little... should just throw out the entire gimmick. <laughs> it's a little cringe. Just start over. Uh, and obviously, Money Clip Okada remains the most boring version of Okada I've ever had. So, uh, you know. But there were I, there were flashes here. I think the two of them may have had pretty good chemistry. But uh, they definitely... If this, was, if this is like the start of a big feud for, you know, historic feud or whatever, this is a match that no one's going to remember because it's not... Yeah. wasn't that big a deal. Um, yeah. And then, I mean, like, yeah. I, oh, sorry, go ahead. But, oh, I mean, like, yeah, like, I mean, it's definitely, like, the problems with this match have nothing to do with them as, like, wrestlers, excepting, of course, for that stupid money clip. But it's just, like, everything around it just makes it, like, like I can't, like, like, gimmicks shouldn't, be make someone not want to watch the match like they should you know it's it's just i really do i hope you're right and they really do tone it down because he is a good wrestler yeah and you know um so i really we... wanted the waifu war to happen and be good <laughs> but this is just the monkey's paw situation yeah, for really, me really um afterwards you know like we already talked a little about the osprey promo the diet british flair thing um, the only good thing about that promo is the, the camera would keep cutting to Okada and you have this look on his face like, okay, <laughs> like, like, uh, whatever. Like he, he did, he wasn't selling like he was upset with this guy at all. He's just like, sure, whatever, buddy. But yeah, they're going to face, yeah. they're going to face each other at Wrestle Kingdom. Uh, woohoo. <laughs> I mean, whatever. Uh-huh. Nothing else happened. Uh, Jeff Cobb, no Jeff Cobb joining the empire has, has been speculated, but, uh. Which that that would be a, a great the addition to the <laughs> to the theme. It's like anyway, oh gosh. <laughs> it's like well, oh gosh. well, Osprey and his uh, minority friends. <laughs> they uh, he would have he would have uh, I don't know like imperialized Hawaii. <laughs> anyway, uh, after that we get the best of the Super Junior cards, uh, which has a bunch of stuff I'm excited for. Uh, I wrote down all the main events. Might as well go through them really quickly. Um, day one has Hiromu versus Ishimori, so they're doing that very, very quickly, that rematch, which is uh, a little surprising. That'll be next Saturday on uh, November 15th. Uh, day two in Corican has Hiromu versus Desperado. Cannot fucking wait for that. Matches are always awesome. Uh, day three in Corican also has a two really big matches, intra-unit battles. Uh, Desperado versus Kanemaru and Hiromu versus Bushi. 
which again I'm really looking forward to that one. Yeah, both Both those matches I really can't wait for because I love Despy and Kanemaru too. But but yeah, Hiromu Bushi should be incredible. Um Day four in Goomba has Ishimori versus Kanemaru, the uh, never ending feud. And also a match I'm I'm personally very excited for. Uh Hiromu vs versus Doki. Let's go. Uh, I'm excited for it. Day I'm, I I love Doki. I do love Doki too. Uh, day five and Nigata has Robbie Eagles versus Ishimori as the main, which is like a battle of X tag partners, plus the big Wato Doki return match. So, Doki's revenge. Uh, day <laughs> day six in Korokin has Eagles Hiromu as the main event and the Despy versus Doki match, which notable since Doki's only came to New Japan because he had to replace Desperado in last year's Super Junior. So that's kind of like a little interesting note, I guess. Uh, day seven in Osaka has Ishimori versus Desperado as the main event, uh, and we also get Sho versus Hiromu, and then day eight Kagoshima, Wato versus Ishimori as the main, and Taguchi versus Hiromu, and the last day, um, the uh, is the last day of the the league. I mean, is uh, December six in Fukuoka, so it's Sho Ishimori, Wato Hiromu. Uh, Desperado, Bushi, Eagles, Kanemaru, and Taguchi Doki. Interesting that Wato Hiromu stands out to me because it's like, I I think people had better be ready for Wato to get more wins than this than they might be expecting, because clearly I think he'll be alive on the last day if he's facing Hiromu, but uh, I guess we'll see. And then of course he's... Oh, go ahead. Oh, he's, I mean, like, I guess his, like, gimmick is, like, pretty bad, but he's a good wrestler, and also... Seeing Oka's gimmick makes me like the Master Wato gimmick more and take it more seriously. Because <laughs> I'm like, at least it's not like that. At least it's just like the only thing about it is that his he's it's a little like weird. Yeah, that's that's the worst thing about it. Uh, and then the of course the finals are December 11th, the Nippon Budokan, along with the World Tag League finals. And we don't have the World Tag League teams yet, even uh, even though it starts next Saturday as well. So I don't know what they're waiting for there, but uh, I assume we'll get it soon. There you go. Uh, we also got the Super J Cup tournament bracket, which is uh, December 13th, uh, airing live apparently. And that's Clark Connors versus Chris Bay from Impact, uh, ACH versus TJP. That's the left side. And then the right side is Ray Horace from ROH against Blake Christian from GCW, and El Fantasmo versus Leo Rush. Uh, and apparently, also, they mentioned Red Narita and Carl Fredericks versus Kenton Hikuleo. So that confirms that Narita has made it back to LA, I guess, or will make it back to LA. So he's uh, he'll be in that tag match because he wasn't on any of those strong shows. So he's been he wasn't there for that taping, but I guess he'll be back for this. So there you go. Uh, match number four was the IWGP US Heavyweight Right to Challenge contract. Uh, <laughs> I don't, that, that's just that that red briefcase, folks. <laughs> the very broken red briefcase. <laughs> Kenta defeats Tanahashi in 1957 with the game over to retain the right to challenge contract. Uh, I thought this was awesome. I saw some people say, some people seem to be a little lower on this than I expected, but uh, yeah, I thought these two worked a really smart match together. I thought they really did a great job. Um, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. There's the, my, one of my favorite moments right at the start where like uh, Tanahashi hits this crossbody off the second rope, starts playing air guitar. Kenta boots him from behind, gives us Kenta air guitar, and this outrageous Tanahashi... Air bass. Oh, was it air bass, really? Yes. <laughs> I didn't even notice. Uh, 
Uh, this outrages Tanahashi so much, he drop kicks Kenta hard, sends him all the way to the floor, and then he wipes him out with a huge plancha. So, do not play air base, I guess, even in front of Tanahashi. Uh, but yeah, there was like this, also like this great strike exchange around the 10 minute mark. They both just like elbow each other repeatedly. Kenta tries to hit the strike combo, you know, his signature combo, but Tanahashi blocks the last spinning chop. Uh, Kenta comes back with another spinning chop. Tanahashi slaps him right in the face, but Kenta finally like ends up by throwing him on the apron and then hitting the hanging DDT, which was really cool. And, you know, the, the go to sleep sling blade counters stuff, that was pretty good. And then the, the finish, I thought, you know, Kenta, it looks like Tanahashi has Kenta. He hits the standing high fly flow crossbody. But instead of trying to go back up for another one, he tries to lock Kenta in the Texas Cloverleaf, which, again, I'm almost certain that's how he beat Kenta during the G1, so it makes sense. But Kenta, you know, struggles. He nearly makes the ropes. But then as Tanahashi's, like, trying to pull him back, Kenta's able to reverse it and take Tanahashi down to the game over. Just looked really good. And, yeah. you know, Tanahashi reverses back to Cloverleaf. Kenta reverses back to the game over again. And he rolls Tanahashi back to the center of the ring, and Tanahashi submits. So, started a little slow, but I thought it was fucking awesome by the end. I would go four and a quarter. So, really good match. Yeah. I mean, I liked it. It wasn't, like, something that, like, super is, like, I was, like, super excited about or anything. But, like, I definitely, like, you know, it was enjoyable to watch. It's, like, not something I'd watch again. But, like, when it was on, I enjoyed it, I guess, kind of match for me. Sure. Uh, I, I, uh, one thing I really liked in the beginning that, uh, was Kenta, like, purposefully messing up Tanahashi's hair <laughs> and like, just to, like piss him off and then Tanahashi just kind of like flicking his hair and it like, went back just how it was. It was like I don't know. I just was, was impressed with with Tanahashi's I guess ability to fix his hair so <laughs> easily and, and also like Kenta like deciding on like that as a way to taunt him was funny. Yeah well um, he knows him well I guess. Uh, I also really liked um, when he had the the tear in the briefcase and he had like a the piece of tape on it, put, like uh, with an arrow pointing to it, and then on the tape it said like Tanahashi. <laughs> yeah, he's had that. To, like show like had, how that happened. He's had that since the G one since Tanahashi broke it. It was really funny. Oh like, my god! Uh, yeah. I didn't. Yeah, I haven't been watching. So like to me that was like hilarious. Yeah, he's like this is Tanahashi. I was like, I I just I just love Kenta being like a total dick. Like I think that's what. I guess, kind of made this match really, I guess, you know, enjoyable for me to watch. It's just, Kenta's just such a, such a dick in, like, such, like, a, he enjoys it so much. Yeah. And it's, it's always fun, it's always fun to watch. Did you see his strangely sincere, like, interview afterwards? No, I haven't, I didn't watch any of the interviews. So he, like, described how he went to, uh, he went to Taiwan, I think, when he was still at WWE. And Tanahashi just happened to be in Taiwan at the same time. And, you know, so he, Nakamura, Asuka, and Tanahashi all went out to eat together. And Kenta, I get, you know, I guess feeling pretty low at that point with how his WWE career was going, you know, just remembered feeling very, like, ashamed at that table and, like, feeling like, you know, he was doing so much less than these other three people. But now he said, you know, after he beat Tanahashi, obviously, he's like, well, I mean, he didn't even say that part, but, you know, that's, I guess, implied. Now he says, "If I I wouldn't have anything to be ashamed of, basically." And it was very like, it was oddly sincere for a bullet club heel. It was very like, "Oh, that's nice. You, you turned your career around. Good for you, buddy." Uh, I think that's part of the reason why people like him so much. And I don't, you know, 
they connect with them on these promos, whether it's this kind of thing or romancing the cameraman. Uh, <laughs> the semifinal for the IWGP Heavyweight and Intercontinental Double Championship Right to Challenge contract. Jay White defeats Kota Ibushi in 1847 with a backslide with his feet on the ropes. Uh, when this match ended, I felt really bad that I had invited you on for the show. I was like, oh God, the, the world's biggest Ibushi fan. And here I am. Uh... <laughs> like, uh, and he gets, he's the first guy to lose his briefcase. But I will say, by the time the press conference happened, I felt a little less bad. Because it, it does seem very clear they're still doing Night to Ibushi at the Dome. But we'll talk about that, you know, when we get into the, the post-show. Um, you know, the match itself I thought was awesome. I mean, you know, Jay yeah. Jay did Jay was doing some really cool, like, just beating Ibushi's ass all over ringside at the start. Um, you know, White comes back, you know, or, or like, Ibushi comes back at first with this really good planche to the floor. Uh, White, came, White comes back after that with this great little double suplex sequence where he hits, like, a like a front suplex lift into like a drop straight down then immediately grabs him again when he's leaning over and hits like a spinning suplex just a great little sequence uh they trade like germans and face busters which is another great sequence which ends in a pretty nasty deadlift german from white like just throws him on the back of his neck um and but then coda pays him back though because you know jay gets him in a headlock and like starts throwing these like really hard looking knees but Coda finally like blocks one, lifts him straight into this really sick Gonzo driver. Just like drops White right on his head. Um, and then the finishing sequence, you know, Coda goes for the big Bamaye, the running Bamaye. White dodges and goes for a suplex. Ibushi does a standing switch and like gets this great Snapdragon suplex. Uh, hits a really hard kick to kneeling White. Goes for the Kamigoe. White fights back by just like desperately like driving his shoulder into Ibushi's abdomen, which. That was a great little, uh, like, desperation counter. Uh, Kota gets knocked backwards, but then he runs forwards and gets the Vamaye he'd been looking for, and he gets to sit out last ride for a two count. Uh, but Jay comes back and goes for Blade Runner, then gets the sleeper suplex when Kota gets out. Uh, but Kota, like, lands on his feet and hits this really, like, great high kick, and you can hear the crowd, like, gasping at this point, and, you know, they're really into it. Uh, Gato gets up on the apron, Kota boots him away, uh, Kota hits the step-up knee and then goes for the Kamigoe again, but Jay escapes and gets the backslide, gets his feet really high up on the ropes to the point where, honestly, uh, in the position the ref was in, he really should have seen it. Uh, poor Marty Asami, mm-hmm. like, really had to really look like an idiot there. What are you going to do? Uh, were you spoiled? when? You, oh, you watched it live, so you were not spoiled. Yeah. I was spoiled yeah. already. I knew that Jay had won this match, so if I, had, if I hadn't known that, the finish probably would have been the most shocking moment of the year. I imagine it was for you watching it, but... Oh yeah, I was speechless. <laughs> it was like... I was, I like, I was just like in my like notes I took. It just says what like repeatedly. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? Wait, really? What? Uh, but yeah, I thought this. It, it, I you know, in a in a way, I thought it was a pretty fantastic finish because it was completely different from the way Jay usually wins via bullshit. Just that Gato was barely involved, so you didn't see it coming at all, and you could tell the crowd was just like the crowd had your reaction. The crowd was like, what the fuck. Um, I will say, even before they announced anything, I did assume the extreme cheating here would lead to some kind of two-day Wrestle Kingdom scenario. Uh, again, we'll, t- we'll talk a little, about, a little bit about that at the end. But, uh, but yeah, match itself was fantastic. These two just have amazing chemistry. Uh, didn't think it was quite as good as their G1 match, but it was close. Another, another four-and-a-quarter-star four match for me. So, um, I mean, I, I liked it a lot. Um, I think it's 
I think it's their their best match that they've had because like I felt I wasn't like too I thought their G one match was kinda like not great and then their Wrestle Kingdom match is pretty good, but like you know, definitely like this one I felt was like even better than that. Oh, what about the G one um, the G one final last year? I think that most people think that's the best one. Yeah, I that's the one I like the least. Oh, okay. <laughs> I like this I, I guess I just I think part of it though is that like I felt really nervous the entire time. So it's probably like my my uh you know nerves like oh god is he gonna win or is he not gonna win like what's gonna happen? Yeah. But this one I just kind of felt like I watched it thinking oh there's no way he's gonna lose the briefcase so I could just watch <laughs> it and enjoy it as a match. Only of course that was like the exact wrong thing. I I, I was definitely uh you know false sense of security there. Yeah. I, I almost called it in my prediction on the on the Voice of Wrestling website. Like, I wrote a whole par- whole paragraph that was basically like, you know, if Jay beats Cody for this briefcase, I won't be that surprised because, you know, maybe they have to do something wacky for this two-night thing and blah, blah, blah. But then I was like a coward and still said, but they never changed the briefcase, so Cody wins. <laughs> so I should have just gone with my gut, I guess. Oh, my God. Yeah. But, uh... Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely, I definitely felt like, you know... I mean, I always love watching Ibushi wrestle. So this one, because I could watch him wrestle and I didn't feel any nerves, I could just kind of enjoy hit, watching him do what he does and, you know, kick people really hard, which is just my favorite thing. I just love watching him kick people, you know, no yeah. matter what. And I thought Jay was really, you know, he's always so great at just making me want to see him get kicked really hard. So... <laughs> You know, that always makes them a, a, a good matchup. Uh, so yeah, I liked it. You know, I mean, obviously the ending. I have very yeah mixed feelings about. So let's talk. Or, about, let's really talk about bad the, the Let's talk about the dome booking after the main event because I have some thoughts on that too. Uh, the main yeah. event: Tetsuya Naito defeats Evil in thirty three oh eight with the Destido to retain both the heavyweight and IC titles. Uh, I can already tell I'm higher on this match than, like, anyone else on Earth. I thought this was incredible. Um, You know, it's one of these matches where, like, I totally understand why most people are not going to have it anywhere near as high as me. It's not one of these matches where I open, like, grapple or cage match. I'm like, what are these people talking about? This time I get it. It's like, if you are one of these people that, like, cannot handle any interference, and, like, obviously this match has a ton of interference, so you're going to automatically rate it down. I get it. I mean that's fine if that's what your if that's what your opinion is that's totally fine. I just think like this was clearly the best Naito Evil match of the four. I mean Naito, I I don't even know what what his like whoever like I don't know what his doctor did or something, but like the way he was moving in this match, just like running and jumping all over, like it looked like someone gave him new knees or something. Honestly, I was like <laughs> I don't I don't understand how he's moving this well. Uh, but yeah, I thought like the, the two like all the actual work, but with the two of them you know, besides the interference, was, like, the best they've worked together in, in this entire series. I mean, they didn't b- they didn't botch anything like they did Jingu. Um, you know, just, it, there was, it was just, like, a lot of exciting stuff. Um, you know, this, like, I don't know, I wrote down a lot of spots, but, like, the, this gigantic superplex Evil gave Naito at one point, and, like, Naito bounced, honestly, when he hit the mat. Uh, and then what Evil went straight from that to the Scorpion Deathlock. Uh, you know, Naito struggled for a while, finally escaped, and then Evil followed right up with the Darkness Falls for two count. Great little sequence. He went for the STO for the first time, 
Uh, Naito elbowed his way out of it, hits his huge German suplex, dropping Evil right on his head. Evil no- rolls through it and no sells it. He charges Naito, only to get dropped by the big spine buster. Uh, and then I thought, like, I know, some, again, I, I totally get that some people hate the guy pulls ref out of the ring thing, not being a DQ, but it was a great, like, near fall, where Naito hits the running Destino after knocking Togo off the apron, so you think Togo's out of it, and then he follows up with the real Destino, and, but fucking Dick, like, pulls the referee out of the ring just before he can finish the three count. That was just a, a really, really awesome near fall. Um, you know, Dick starts choking Naito with the wire, Yujiro shows up with a kendo stick to attack Naito, which, uh, besides being, like, a little bit of drama with, like, oh, is Yujiro really with evil now uh, in this ongoing evil Jay White thing? It's also, like, a kind of funny little, like, well, Yujiro getting his old partner back, I guess. Uh, The crowd was not happy at this point. One guy uh, even was like, fuck this coronavirus, I have to boo. And, like, started loudly booing, which I thought was funny. Uh, Yujiro hits the pimp juice. But Sonata comes running out to be the savior, all dressed in all white. That got a huge reaction, too, especially for the COVID era. Uh, and then Sonata nails Togo with a dropkick, dropkicks both guys out of the ring, gives him the double plancha, and, like, literally carries him to the back, which I thought was funny. Like, he has Togo over his shoulder, and he has Yujiro in a headlock, like, I've had enough of your shit, you're coming with me. <laughs> it's pretty good. I love, I love that he did it in, like, glittery silver <laughs> boat shoes. Yeah. It was like, I was just watching this, and I'm like, you know what? This, I think that was, like, one of my favorite parts of the match, where he's just carrying them off. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it was so... a little ridiculous, but great. Uh, and then Evil and Naito, you know, elbowing each other for a while. We got, like, what I thought was a really subtle but interesting spot. Like, Evil, so he would catch, for forever, he would catch guys' legs on, like, these kicks or enziguri attempts like he did here, and would hand the guy's leg to Red Juice to assist him in, like, this counter kick. Here, he just takes the leg and fucking throws it into Red Shoes as hard as he can, wiping him out, which I thought was, like, a just a really cool little twist on the spot Evil's done a million times. And then he does the fist to the groin from behind, but Naito, uh, of course, if you low-blow Naito, he will fucking low-blow you back, and he, like, catches Evil running in for Larry and just throws him in the air and kicks him right in the balls. Well-deserved. Uh, and then Jay comes sauntering out. Uh, he looks at both guys like he isn't actually sure who he wants to beat up. He picks up Evil, actually he's giving him the Blade Runner, and is like yelling, This is what you want, huh? Which I, that, it was just a great little uh, great little moment of Bullet Club drama. Uh, but then he actually mm-hmm. just like, oh, you didn't like this part? <laughs> no, no, I'm saying, uh, like, I was agreeing. Yeah. I thought this was an agreement noise. <laughs> uh, and then he likes, but then he like just stands him up in the corner and says, This is what you want, I'll give it to you. And he drops Naito on his head with a half Nelson suplex. The crowd, again, even angrier because they, like, they thought Jay was actually going to help Naito. Uh, but before he can do anything else, Coda comes running out. Uh, Evil tries to give him Darkness Falls, but Coda hits a high kick on Evil, chases Jay White to the back, and then we still got a match after all that drama. Uh, Naito hits Evil with his wrist clutch elbows just after the 30-minute call. Uh, Evil comes back by ramming Naito into the exposed corner, but Naito just, like, shrugs it off, hits an elbow, rams Evil in the corner himself. Uh, we get yet more elbows, and then, you know, I, I just found it funny, the crowd, the Japanese announcer mentions, he calls, like, the crowd's clapping and, like, stomping a big Naito call, which I thought was interesting. <laughs> but uh, Evil, you know, almost rams Naito into red shoes in the corner, then low blows him again. It's a big standing Larry on Naito, which Naito, of course, lands right on his neck for. Uh, that gets a very close 2.9 count. Uh, 
But Evil goes for the Evil a couple times. Naito escapes each time. Uh, after the second escape, he just slaps Evil hard in the face to a huge reaction and delivers Valentia. Evil does a great job selling that he's out here. And then Naito does the standing, the standard widen-up Destino, and that gets the pen. Uh, I thought this was the match of the night. I thought this was the best match these two of these guys had together. I'm giving it four and a half stars. It is the rare example to me of run-ins actually adding to the match. Where I thought, like, you know, the... But, I mean, okay. I will say I am actually invested in the Jay White evil, like, Bullet Club Palace intrigue story. So, like, if you don't care about that, you know, you the listener, then... I obviously I, or, or also me or the, the, <laughs> guest. the guest either one uh then I can see not caring about that part but I thought that stuff was was, was has been built up really well and I thought that stuff but I actually like I liked it and I'm not like invested in the story because like I just I haven't been following yeah. New Japan too much so I don't really like know entirely what's going on but like I did I also thought that part like really worked just because like I guess Jay is such a you never know what he's gonna do. He's 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 kinda like this character who likes to fuck with everybody. So it's like I really like bought into the idea that he was gonna like give evil the the blade runner. Yeah. And he's been kind of normally like Oh sorry, go ahead. I said normally with these kind of spots I'm like, Oh yeah, like yeah, right. But like this one <laughs> I was like really like, holy fuck. Yeah, and like, you know, the the he's been so like aggressive towards evil like back and forth really in these promos getting back to g1 so yeah i totally bought it the crowd totally bought it and then it was a, it was a rare like good swerve honestly like uh which usually those kind of swerves are kind of stupid but i thought that one really worked and you know people complain well why have two running like two running sequences but uh you know sonata was just in the g1 final i mean he got he can have his moment you know i mean it was uh they're probably setting up sonata evil for the dome i think it's you know i mean they gotta they gotta shoot angles what do you want from them but, uh, you know, I thought this, I mean, all, all the work from Night Don't Evil in between was just really awesome stuff. And, you know, I originally was thinking four and a quarter, but I talked myself into four and a half because, like, you know, I shouldn't auto take off for run-ins just because run-ins existed. I mean, I, I thought they worked here, so I'm going to be less of a nerd. I'm going to give it the extra quarter star. Plus, I like both guys, so always helps. Uh, but, yeah, and then White and Gato come out right at the end uh, before Night Don't even say anything. Uh, I thought Jay kept, Jay kept apologizing to him, which I thought was really funny. Like, he's just like, I'm sorry. It's a, I, I'm sorry about the suplex. <laughs> kind of funny. Uh, and then Jay basically says he's taking the night off on 1-4, and Naito can do whatever he wants, fight the young boys if he wants, but 1-5, he'll challenge for the double gold and take the belts. Uh, Naito basically tr- was, like, trying to annoy him by saying he can't understand him and repeatedly doing, like, 1-4, 1-5, like, what are you talking about? Look at his hands. Thought was, like, those two are, they have amazing chemistry together, and, like, yeah. just their whole feud last year was, like, one of my favorite things of the year, and they're just really funny, like, trying to out-troll each other. The two, the two master trolls in wrestling, so. Uh, Ibushi comes out, which makes White very angry, uh, and Jay and Gato, like, they bail to the floor, and Jay repeatedly is like, you have nothing. Uh, White, I have the briefcase. Naito has the belts. Shouldn't even be here. Ibushi doesn't say anything. He just chases White away. And Naito doesn't even react to all of that at all. He just kind of sits there. Which is really funny. But yeah, so the next day, we this became a little bit clearer. They haven't officially announced anything yet. But they did say, basically, that uh, you know Naito said he wants to fight Kota on January 4th. So it sounds like that's going to happen. Um, they're doing this double, another like double dome situation. 
what's not clear to me is like is NATO gonna fight Jay on one or is NATO gonna fight Abushi on January fourth for both the belts and then the winner fights Jay? Does Jay really not get, not have to do anything on January fourth, which seems kind of unfair? But maybe that's the idea to make it look like he's gonna win. Uh, will it just be like NATO defends just the Intercontinental against Abushi on one four, and then if he win or lose, he still faces Jay for the heavyweight on one five. I could see them doing that too, I guess. Um, so I get it on one hand. You know, they have two shows. They need two main events, right? Um, there's nothing else that can main event other than, you know, these two Naito matches. Because, like, you know, what Okada's fighting Will Ospreay. I, I hate to burst some people's bubbles, but Okada versus Will Ospreay with nothing on the line, you know, no title or anything, is not a Tokyo Dome main event. It's just not. Uh, Tanahashi doesn't have an obvious match. Um, it's really hard to get, like, outsiders here, so you can't, like, get Jericho or, you know, even, like, you know, God forbid, they, they patch things up with Kenny. I mean, they can't get anybody like that, really, right now. So, you know, I don't even think they're going to be able to get Moxley, honestly. And it's just, it, you have to do two-man events. I get it. On the other hand, this is now two years in a row where the Double Dome has necessitated a convoluted like, double two-main-event title picture thing, which is starting to get pretty WWE-like. Like, this feels like... This feels like WWE having... We have Hell in a Cell, the pay-per-view, in September or October, where the fuck it is, so we have to have a bunch of Hell in a Cell matches. Now, New Japan is basically, you know, we're having Wrestle Kingdom two days at the Tokyo Dome, so we have to have two title matches. Like, they have to stop doing this. They, like, next year, because apparently they, their plan is to keep running two domes, you know, into the future. But they have to come up with another plan other than continually doing these convoluted two-day title scenarios. Like, they can't do this every year. Like, they have to come up with another plan next year. So, it's just way, it's one of these things where it's, like, way too convenient. Way too, like, oh, well, look at that. We have two... We have two t- two dome main events, so of course we have a little wacky situation to do another dome main. Event. Like it doesn't, it's just it's way too like stupid. I don't know. I don't know if I'm describing it right, but like it just feels contrived is a great word, I think. So yeah, definitely, I agree. It's just like I mean, like last year, I really hated it. Like mainly because I felt like it kind of, like, downplayed, like, like, even she won the G1, yet he felt, like, kind of, like, a side character in all of this. Whereas this year, it's more that it's just, like, a mess. Yeah. And this, I'm like, I don't... This year he feels like the main character of anything, but, like, it just feels, like you said, like, it's just, it's too convoluted, and it's like, I don't know. It's just... I told you, like, I think I told you this off the air, but, like, the fact that he lost to Jay here may mean that he's winning it all at the Dome, and, like... You know, just like Naito losing to Jay last year at Destruction meant that he was winning it all at the Dome. But then we're getting too predictable, you know? I mean, like, and it's too much like, well, the guy had his big loss right before the Dome, so now he's going to win. It's just, I don't know. They, they got to, like, I mean, I'm, I'm saying predictable at the same time that nobody thought the, the briefcase had ever changed hands, and it did. But, like, it's just leading all, like, it, it also, like, completely, um, like, it, what does it matter if briefcase changed hands if Code is getting a shot anyway? I mean, it's just very, like, it's convoluted. It's kind of stupid. It's just, it feels very WWE, WWE to me. I mean, like, yeah. either change... The, like, oh, sorry, go ahead. 
And, like, also, it's, like, the thing is, like, they're saying, oh, we're gonna do, like, Night OJ on, like, the last day, but I'm, like, if you're gonna do Ibushi on the first day, and Ibushi's gonna, win, like, win it all, it's, like, I don't know how that's gonna work. Yeah. Like, what are you gonna do with Ibushi after that? You know? It's, like, you know, they're gonna, or is, is Jay gonna be forced to wrestle on uh, the fourth instead? Like, I don't know what's gonna... What's, what's going on with that? That's a little confusing to me. And there's no... Like, if they're going to do a J... Um, you know, like a, a scenario where J has to defend the briefcase on 1-4 to make it, like, a, a proper mini-tournament, like, who the fuck is he going to defend against? Because yeah. I don't see any obvious challenger. I mean, who do you lose to in the G1? Coda? Who... Oh, no, he beat Coda. Who, <laughs> I got to look this up now, I guess. Let me see. Uh, G1 Climax 30. I should look it up first, but I've totally... Um, I know he lost to Will Ospreay. So he's obviously not going to be defending against Ospreay because Ospreay's facing Okada. Uh, I can't remember who else he lost to. So let's see. Who did Jay White lose to? Oh, he lost to Ishii. I guess you could do that. I guess that would... I mean, that would be a, like, okay, everybody knows Jay White is winning, but I guess he lost to Jeff Cobb, who... Jeff Cobb's not going to get that shot. Yeah, those are his three losses. Cobb, Ishii, and White. Or, I mean, Cobb, Ishii, and Osprey. Uh, I, I mean, yeah, I guess you could do Jay White versus Ishii for the briefcase on the first night. I just, that would kind of be, like, the biggest foregone conclusion of all time. Because, I mean, they're not made of yeah. any, they're not made of any Ishii on the second night. But, uh, I don't know. I just don't like anything about this, really, other than the fact that, uh, you know, I, I mean, really, nothing. <laughs> it's just very, very convoluted, very, uh, like, if they want to change the briefcase, just change the briefcase. Just do Naito J. If they don't want to answer, you know, if they want to do Naito Ibushi, then just do Naito Ibushi. Just come up with another match for 1-5. I get that it's hard. I get that you can't bring, like I said, they can't bring any foreigners or special guests in or anything. But, like, I don't I don't know. Maybe don't do two domes then. Maybe, maybe two domes isn't necessary. I just, it, the whole thing is just very, like, it feels like, if, it's another thing where it feels like the, the schedule is driving the booking instead of the booking, you know, it's just being able to stand on its own. It just feels way too convoluted. So, there you go. That's my, uh, here's my New Japan takes, I guess. Really good show, but, uh, I'm not a fan of where we're going, I guess. Uh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just like, it's just like, as, like, an Ibushi fan, I'm just like, I feel like the, ever since he signed, like, New Japan's kind of been, like, jerking him around a little bit, like, in terms of, like, the booking, and, you know, so him, like, you know, like, last year, like, he won the G1, but he was, like, overshadowed by, like, Naito, and this year he wins it, and he really is, like, you know, the focus, only that he loses it, and it's just, like, oh, God, <laughs> it's, like, it's, like, he can't just, like, have something and, like, you know, be the the star or anything, it's, like, they want him to be one of like the like top people but also they're like mm, not really <laughs> like you know it's, it's a little it's getting a well it's gotten to the point where i'm just like i just have to i like i, I just watch his matches and i don't think about anything outside of it like yeah. i don't pay attention to that i just watch them because i enjoy watching him wrestle and that's it yeah i mean I Pretend do... everything else doesn't exist I do think the the most likely ending for the Tokyo Dome is him winning maybe both titles, maybe just the Intercontinental, I don't know. I guess we'll find out more once you get the actual like cards and stuff and figure out how this two day thing is gonna work. But uh 
I guess we'll find out. Uh, let's move over to DET because we got two more shows to talk about here. Uh, DET yeah. Ultimate Party, uh, November third, this past Tuesday. It was Election Day, actually. Kind of, which I I greatly appreciate Ultimate Party for that reason because I watched it pretty much all yeah. day on Tuesday. I didn't watch it live, but like. It was like, oh, this is something to distract me from the fact that this election is going to happen tonight. Uh, definitely did appreciate that. Uh, it was from Oda yeah. Ward Jim. But as you going to say, yeah, something. I actually did watch it live. So because of that, I ended up sleeping through most of election day. <laughs> so I kind of had this similar, I guess, experience of it distracting me, but mainly because I was asleep. <laughs> Uh, we had two dark matches we can blow through here. The first one was Hideki Okatani defeating Keiko Nakamura with the double arm suplex in 424. Uh, spirited little young boy battle, I would say like two and three quarters. Not much to add, really. Unless you have anything to I add. I actually d- didn't. I, 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 I totally forgot that there were undercard matches. Okay, so. Uh, so. The other one was Hiroshi Yamato and Hoshi Tango defeating Mizuki Watase and Yukio Naya. Uh, Yamato submitted Watase with the just X in nine minutes. Um, this was just there, I thought. Two and a half, like standard dark tag match, you know. Just a very average match. Uh, Yamato, I do, I do like that because he's teaming with Daisuke Sasaki recently. He has like all black on his eyes because that's what happens when you hang out with Sasaki. I guess you just drink and party way too late. Uh, match number one, the Mao return battle. Um, Mao defeated Shuma Katsumata with the Marines Tornado Splash in 751. Um, this was a, a former idols colliding, which I totally forgot about until the match started. I was like, oh yeah, they were in NWA together. <laughs> I totally forgot. Yeah, I think about that all of the time. <laughs> I'm like, when is when is NWA gonna gonna reform? So I always think about, you know, it's a perfect gimmick for me. It's idol wrestlers. <laughs> well, you got the up up girls at least. Yes, I love them. Uh, Shuma comes out carrying a Lego bat, had an additional pail full of Legos. Um, I saw some people had this really high. I thought it was pretty good. Nothing like that blew me away. With you know, it was a fun little match with lots of Lego action, like three and a quarter. Uh, but some people seem to really love this. So uh, I really loved it. It wasn't like you know my like top matches because like there's just so many matches on this that are amazing. But, I mean, I'm a big fan of Mao, so I was really excited to see him. And, you know, I really like Shima as well. I really like the relationship between them, like how they're, like, friends from back, you know, being idols, you know. And uh, I just, you know, Mao is is such a a strange and wonderful person. Yeah. (laughs) So I just enjoy watching him because he's just kind of like, you know, a little weird, but also, um, the the finishing. What did, what did you say the finishing move was? The Marines Tornado Splash. Okay. I assume it's a reference yeah, to the baseball I, team. I get maybe he's a what? big. It could be a reference to the baseball team. He could be a big Chiba Lost Marines fan. I don't know. I don't know, but I I uh, when he did that, I was like, holy fuck! Yeah, that was really great. Mm-hmm. I don't have anything else to add. It's good. <laughs> match number <laughs> match number two, Akito defeats Dan Shogudina with the mouth breeding Sano type kiss in nine fifty one. Uh are you do you are you a big Demon Slayer fan? Oh a big what? Demon Slayer fan or no? The anime Demon Slayer. The, 
Oh, Demon Slayer, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, I remember all the Demon Slayer stuff. Yeah, I was, like, freaking out when that, oh, that was happening, because it was, like, when he put the the thing on, the <laughs> what's it, like, the thing that Nezuko wears. Yeah, the bamboo, bamboo gag. Yeah, uh, I was, like, kind of weirded out, because, like, like, if you've seen the anime or, like, read the manga or anything, like, Nezuko's a very, like, innocent character, <laughs> and Dino's, like, Dino? Whoops. So it's like him wearing the gag. I was like, "Oh God!" Like it suddenly has like a different connotation. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, well, she Jesus. wears. Okay, I've only seen one episode of the TV series. I I really should watch the rest of it. But she wears that gag because she's a demon, right? Like because she's gonna. Yeah, she wears to... that gag to so that she doesn't bite human beings. Right. So that um, was the joke. I think here that yeah. Dino Dino's but, like, wearing. For him, it's like he can't kiss people yeah because of covid yeah Yeah. but also it's like a gag and like him with like a a gag tied (laughs) in his mouth it just has so many implications in general even beyond him you know not being able to kiss people that's just like oh my god uh it's like the demon slayer movie came out in japan recently that was an enormous hit so i assume that's why they're making these jokes but i think it, it set like a new box office record or something so like that it was a big big deal um, I really want to see it so bad. Yeah, it's. I've read the the entire manga, so like, for me, it's like I know what the storyline is, and I'm really excited to see it animated. Uh, but yeah, so he comes he comes out growling like I think she does on the show apparently. Yeah, which is really funny. Uh, Akito meanwhile drank like a million energy drinks before he came out here because he got no sleep the night before. I guess out of nerves uh, from facing Dino because Dino. Like, it was a Dino match that Akito watched that motivated him to become a pro wrestler, which is something. <laughs> Apparently that's real. <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah. There is a... So there's, like, a great... Like, this had the most consent of a Dino match of all time. Because, like, Akito... Uh, like, Dino starts off his match wrestling completely straight. He just beats Akito up. He even goes for a regular pile driver instead of the Don Shoku driver. Uh, and then Akito keeps telling Dino, like, come on, go for my penis. Uh, and Dino keeps just punching him in the face instead, which is, yeah, that's like the most consent we've ever seen in a Dino match. Um, yeah, but that I, was like really funny, I thought. And then the, I, the way that was like flipped. <laughs> and Akito eventually convinces him to go back to his normal self uh, and even has matching tights, which I thought was funny. Oh, the song. I love the song. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. And there's a joke in here about Akito like farting a lot because of all the energy drinks. And then Dino yells at everyone to watch because the EVP of Cyberfight, because he just got promoted, is going to shit his pants in the ring. Uh, and Dino, for some reason, strips down to an adult diaper and nearly beats Akito with a variation of the Don Shoku nightmare. But Eno appears and tells Akito not to give up for some reason. And then Akito... Oh, yeah, and then it plays... Isn't that when it starts playing the, the theme song for Demon Slayer? Yeah, so I think you're right. Two. Yeah. Yeah, like when that song came on, I was like, "Holy fuck!" Because <laughs> it's like, it's like, oh my god, they're really going for this like whole demon slayer thing. Yeah, it's really funny. And then Akito wins with the Goliath Bird Eater Lip Lock Combo, which apparently is called the Mouth Breeding Sano Type Kiss. So, uh, I don't know how to rate this, so I'm not gonna. But it was <laughs> certainly never uninteresting. If you're listening to this and you hate. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. TNT comedy. I guess sure, you sure should skip this match, but... Uh, oh, yeah, you would hate it. It's very, <laughs> very... It's, even I was a little like, okay, maybe this is too much. <laughs> like, you know, like, I don't I don't really like, I guess, bathroom humor, so like, yeah. for me it was a little like, uh, but, like, it was, it was very, very DDT. Yeah. <laughs> very, I, I could understand why people would hate it, and I accept it. Uh, so. Match number three, the survival four-way six-man tag. Uh, Katsusada Higuchi, Yukio Sakaguchi, and Saki Yakai defeat Torawashi, Naomi Oshimura, and Kazuki Hirata. Mad Polly, Ellen Demand, Nobuhiro Shimatani, and Super Satsango Machine, Makoto Oishi, and Antonio Honda in 11.03. Uh, the first two pins were both for Hirata. He eliminated... It was elimination rules. I think I, well, I said survival, so... Uh, Hirata eliminated Shimitani with the Miracle One-Shot Cradle in 7.12. Then he eliminated Honda with the Miracle One-Shot Cradle in 9.50. And then Yuko Sakaguchi eliminated him with the Cradle in 11.03. And one of the funnier jokes in the show, Hirata immediately complained that uh, getting a, that a roll-up was not fair after he pinned the first two guys at roll-ups. Uh... But yeah, there was a. This match ended up being a lot more comedy than I thought it would be, especially with eruption in there. I thought, you know, they're the six man champions, and also also uh, Sakaguchi and Higuchi just won the, the regular tag titles, too. They look so fucking cool coming out with all their belts. Like, you know, Saki yeah. standing in the middle wearing her six man title, and Higuchi and Sakaguchi on either side holding their both titles. But uh, this was mostly comedy. And Sasajango, so he had. He pulled his mask off to reveal Polly face paint, just like uh, just when the damn hearts team had him cornered and offered an alliance and they accepted. And, you know, that was kind of funny. But then he double crosses them, of course, and that lets here to roll Shimatani up for the pin. Uh, and then Honda later says that he's like so lonely he's going to give up because everybody else was like in a big circle, like hold except for him. But first hold is gone the Fox story. Uh, but yeah, that was, uh, you know, it was almost all comedy, so I'm not really going to rate it again, but it was pretty fun. I enjoyed it. But, uh, again, I, if you, I, I, I thought it was fun. Yeah. yeah if you hate DD comedy, you can really, if you hate D, like if you're the type of person that really cannot stand DD comedy, you could just watch the opener and you could skip the next four matches, like two, three, four, five, and then, oh no, two, three, four, next, skip the next three matches, two, three, four, and then watch just like five through eight. And, you know, they, they basically structured it. So all the serious matches are at the end. So. They made it easy for the uh, the fans to hate the comedy, I guess. But uh, anyway, the next match was the DDT Extreme Title Weapon Rumble. Uh, Shinshiro Takagi defeats Shinya Aoki with the La Magistro Cradle in 10:55. Aoki fails in his V6, and Takagi becomes the 49th Extreme Champion. Um, so I don't, th- th- this was a really weird Weapon Rumble. Like there were almost no actual weapons. <laughs> it was all people and like secrets. Uh, yeah. so it was like, it was probably the worst weapon rumble I've ever seen as like a match, but the jokes were pretty funny. So, yeah. you know, I, I, had... I, I thought, I thought the way that I thought the, like the ending of it was like absolutely perfect. Like I was dying laughing. 
Yeah. The, the, there was a really funny joke in the, right at the start where, like, Takagi's first weapon was explosion bat but sound only. <laughs> so there was, like, a, <laughs> there was a bat wrapped in barbed wire, and then you could press a button to make an explosion sound. And for some reason, when Takagi hits Nakamura, he still sells it because Keiko Nakamura was the first weapon. Uh, when he hits Nakamura with it, it still kills him. Like, Nakamura sells it like there was an actual explosion, but it was only the sound of the explosion. Uh... We have Maku Donoto showing up as a, a weapon. Uh, apparently, MMA legend Hayato Max Sakurai showed up uh, as a weapon for Takagi. Wait, who, who is his weapon? Uh, Hay- Hayato Max Sakurai was Takagi's weapon. Some MMA guy. Okay. Uh, yeah, I heard. I like forgot. I just remembered it was like some some guy. Was, like, you know, okay. <laughs> but then we get the secrets revealed. Okay, so the fifth weapon, uh, it's for Aoki, and we get. Definitely not Dino and Sasadango with the witness protection filter revealing that this one time, this big time actress came to watch the show and Takagi was like, she was such a huge fan of me. I could have gotten lay with her, but I chose not to. I could have, though. And this story reduces Takagi to tears for some reason as Aoki celebrates. I was like, I didn't think that was that bad, buddy. I mean, that doesn't sound... All you did was brag that you could have uh, maybe had sex with somebody. It doesn't... I don't know if that would reduce you well, to tears. I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, I guess, embarrassing because it's like, uh, what is it? Like the idea that you think so highly of yourself <laughs> that you're like telling people this is kind of like not something you want other people to know about. The sixth weapon for Takagi uh, is also secrets revealed, and then uh, it, <laughs> interviewer. So I've heard you've had, and I, I, of course, give credit to DT English Update, DT Pro underscore NG for all these translations. Interviewer. So I heard you've had a match with Aoki before. Someone that looks like his, ex- his ex-wife. His technique was bad. I was expecting more from him. He, quote, tapped out, air quotes, very quickly. He was bad, plain and simple. Then the seventh weapon. Also for Takagi, and it's Secrets Reveal Part 2. Another woman. Uh, the interviewer asked her, who are you? Have you met Aoki before? The woman's like, no, he just DM'd me on Instagram. He wanted to go to a love hotel with me, so I just blocked him. And then we get actual screenshots of the DMs, which is incredible. <laughs> and then back in the ring, Aoki is so distraught over the second group of revelations. Uh, the look on his face is really funny. The Takagi easily rolls him up with the Lamaji Stroke Cradle to end his reign finally as a DET Extreme Champion. What other way could a reign end? Uh, but yeah, it was really funny. Not really much of a match. Can't really star rate it. But like, you know, some of these matches have actually been really good as matches. You know, these weapon rumbles. But this was this was the ending was still really funny. Oh my god! It's like he did. He got like so destroyed. Like he lost because of his own weak dick to game. <laughs> I, think, I think that just it's just so so very. Only that could happen in DDT. Indeed. Nowhere else. Uh, Takagi afterwards, he announces all of his defenses will be Rojo matches, or street matches, uh, and they will all be on the official DET YouTube instead of Universe, so that's very interesting. Uh, he challenges anyone from the entire world of wrestling to come for the belt. Uh, Shuma attacks him afterwards, so I guess he's going to be the first challenger. Uh, after that, we get the DO announce- participant announcements, uh, which we'll talk more about that next week's show, because we, that will be a, we'll do like a whole DO preview, because the, the, the tournament won't start until after the after the next show. Uh, but yeah, there's no real surprises or outsiders here, which maybe that's surprising. They usually do have like one big outsider at least. But 
you know, uh, they have Junakiyama, but he doesn't really count. He's been there for months. But uh, it'll be fun to see him in a league like this, though, when he hasn't competed in the Champion Carnival uh, since 2018. And even that was like a last-minute replacement after he was in the 2017 Carnival. So we'll talk more about that next week. Uh, we also got our first big show announcement for 2021, which is Kawasaki Strong on February 14th, which is DET's first ever show at the Colts Kawasaki venue. Presumably that's where the DO winner will get their title shot, but I guess we'll see. Uh, match number five, and this starts like four straight really great matches. Uh, Shima and Soma Takao defeat Hiroshima and now Michimaru Fuji when Soma pins Hiroshima with the gin and tonic in 1247. Um, you know, she maybe keeping it short was like the key. Marufuji in these tag matches in DT usually fucking sucks. This was, like, the best I've ever seen him, honestly, in one of these DET tag matches. Like, he he seemed like he was into it. Uh, you know, the other guys were very into it, and Shima especially was pretty into this match. Um, you know, there's a great spot where Hashima did, like, a Samato to Soma, only to eat the Meteor off the top from Shima. Just a great little contrast, since it's a very similar move, obviously. Uh, and, and it starts, like, a big exchange of everybody just, like, nailing each other. And the match ends with a... I mean, Soma pinning Hiroshima is huge. And, like, you know, especially cleanly. Yeah. Uh, so probably one of the biggest pins of his career. But, yeah, the match was a lot of fun by the end. I would say three and three quarters. Definitely recommend this one. Um, I mean, yeah, I feel basically the same way. Um, I I enjoyed watching it. It's not like... Uh, what is it? I mean, like, I wasn't, like, really, was it, like, invested in, like, who would win or anything. It was just kind of more, like, you know, I guess, enjoyable in the moment. You know, just, like, to watch. I guess as opposed to, like, oh, I'm really, like, vested in it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's still fun, you know. Uh, afterwards, Shima and Marafuji seem to have some kind of confrontation, maybe teasing a future single match. Uh, they've never met one-on-one before, just a tag and... 2007 before this one, which was a, a six-man on an April Noah Budokan show. It was Shima, Dragon Kin, Susumu Yokosuka against Marafuji, Ricky Marvin, Ippi Ota. Uh, so that's interesting. But yeah, this is this was only their second match against each other. They also teamed together on the very ill-fated Ring of Honor Osaka show uh, a couple months later in 2007. It was Marafuji, Shima, and Brian Danielson against the Noah Morse Corps of Rocky Romero, Davey Richards, and uh, their partner that night, Masaki Mochizuki, which, uh, if people don't know about that show, that, that show, like, indirectly started Dragon Gate USA because, like, Ring of Honor never paid Dragon Gate for, like, they were supposed to for that show, uh, for putting on that show for them, and, like, it started, like, a big fallout, and, you know, Gabe ended up with them when, uh, Ring of Honor, I guess, you know, there was a whole big thing, basically, but, yeah, uh, just kind of an interesting little show. But yeah, during the promo afterwards, Shima admits they thought they were going to lose, which I thought was kind of funny. Uh, but Shima and Soma agree to continue teaming together, mostly because they still have matching gear. They have new matching gear, so they, they got to get more use out of it. Uh, and maybe we're I gonna... thought the matching gear is really cute. Yeah, it, it was. <laughs> I mean, Soma getting like to team with his childhood heroes is so cool. Yeah, because he... I just love love that. He's so excited about it. <laughs> like it's so clear, and it's just like I don't know. Normally, because he's like he looks kind of like sullen. But, like, when he's teaming up with Shima, he looks, like, really happy, and I like that. Yeah, people don't know he was Bima in uh, in college wrestling, so, you know. Not like college wrestling we have, like, college, like they, I feel like I've explained this a million times, but, like, these college wrestling clubs where they do pretend pro wrestling. Not that, yeah, there's some, like, 
documentary about it out there that I watched on YouTube. Oh, there you go. I gotta uh, check that I don't out. Know, I don't know where to find it. If I if I manage to find it again, I'll post a link on my Twitter. Okay. Uh, but yeah, then we get the D2 Universal title match with uh, Yuki Ueno defeating Chris Brooks and with the WR Unlimited in 1405. So Brooks fails in his third defense and Ueno becomes the fourth Universal Champion. This is awesome. Uh, yeah. You know, it starts off fast and furious right from the opening bell. You get this big Rana from Ueno that, like, sends Brooks rolling to the floor. Uh, but when he tries to follow him out there to plancha, Brooks counters with an ace crusher in midair. Perfectly timed. Like, I replayed this five or six times. It looks so great. Um, you know, really hard-hitting match. Both guys are laying into each other. Uh, Ueno at one point just, like, wipes out Brooks with a super high drop kick right to the face. We get, like, this big late push from Moreno where he survives the praying mantis bomb from Brooks. Uh, gets this huge moonsault to the floor. This half-Delson suplex. Another moonsault back of the ring for a really close two count. Um, but, you know, there's a cool spot where, like, Moreno, you know, Brooks gets the octopus hole locked in. But Moreno's able to, like, power him up, up and out of it and get this rich clutch, wrist clutch uh, fire thunder bomb after Brooks lands in front of him. Very cool counter. Just gets a two. That was my favorite part. Yeah. I love that. I was like, holy fuck. <laughs> it was really good. Uh, but yeah, so basically there's he, he hits his pair of, Brooks hits his pair of super kicks. Ueno no sells them. Uh, hits a kind of sloppy kick after that, which may be the only bad part of this finishing stretch. But then he picks Brooks back up, hits some kind of the the U, the WR driver, I guess, which is like this wacky driver that like kicks Brooks's legs out from under him. He's really really cool looking, very hard to describe, but very cool. And that's finally enough for the pen. Uh, yeah, I thought this was awesome. I'm 100% behind Arano getting the Universal title. He's been really good this year. Really, really, really turned it on this year. Um, four and a quarter for me. I thought this was awesome. Um, I also really loved it. Um, I like In the past, like I've been kind of like unsure how I feel about Ueno. But like yeah, like this year I've started to really enjoy watching him a lot. I think he's... I don't know, I think he's, uh, yeah, like, I guess become more of an interesting wrestler instead of just like, oh, he's good, but whatever. Um, and, yeah, I don't have anything else to add. I just thought this match was great. Uh, after, I'm glad he won. After the match, he announced he's leaving Disaster Box, much to the shock of the other members, so we'll see what happens there, I guess. Uh, we also got a match for the next DT TV show, which happened today, actually. I haven't watched it yet, but uh, Ueno yeah. defends the title against Mao, so... Uh, I don't know who won that, but don't spoil me. If you're listening to this, don't like at me and be like, oh, Mao won. I just, I'm going to watch it, so don't don't spoil me. Uh, you haven't seen it yet either, I assume. No, no. Okay. I was going to watch it probably tomorrow morning. Yeah. Uh, the semi-main event, Jun Akiyama defeats Konosuke Takashida with the front neck lock in 2538. Holy fuck, this match was so good. Like, first of all, if you are listening to this right now, if you're, if you're for some reason listening to me, us review a DDT show but normally can't stand DDT, you still need to watch this match. Because this match was like the two of them putting on this fucking like throwback to like old school, like 90s All Japan slash like early 00s Noah. Like they were like t- they did all these tribute spots. Takashita was like doing all these moves for, out of all, from all these other All Japan guys. I mean, it was such a fucking like love letter to that whole period. If you like that that style of wrestling, you will love this match. I mean, this was just an amazing match. Um, you know, Akiyama 
turn back the clock here and, you know, was just doing all this crazy shit. Um, you know, he just took this, he took so many, so many moves from Takashita and then dished it out too. I mean, there was like this really great, uh, like suplex trading sequence um, with like June, like just popping off these exploders. Like, you know, it's, it's 2005 again. And, you know, Takashita gets this huge power bomb. Akiyama comes right back with a running knee attack, covers him and doesn't even get a one count, which I can't remember the last time I saw that. Like Takashita kicks out at zero, <laughs> which is just such a great moment. So Akiyama, Akiyama immediately follows up with more knees to the chest, another exploder for a two count. Uh, we get an even more physical, like, running knee attack for another two count, uh, just before the 25-minute mark of the match. And then June hits this rich clutch exploder, drops Takashita right on his head, but he, when he covers, he pulls him up at two. I love that. And then locks him in the, the signature front neck lock, the same the same move he beat. Uh, God, who did he beat with on the very first show? I think Kobashi <laughs> on the first and second Noah show. Uh, just And then that's the, obviously the match stoppage. Oh, no, I think... No, Takashi tapped out, actually. But, yeah, he'd rather force him to tap out than pin him. It was just such a, like, fuck you moment. Uh, and, it, like, the way he got up, where he, like, spit at the air after the match was called, it was, like, probably unwise during this ongoing pandemic, but looked cool as hell when he did that. Like, I just beat you, little, you little bastard. <laughs> it was basically the moment. Uh, so awesome. You know, I would say low-end match of the year candidate. You know, the Akama is an old man. I mean, he is you know, up there in age, but he turned back the clock here and put on an awesome old school performance, a four and a half star match. Uh, you know, Akiyama, you know, going over is the right call because he has so much more to do as a main eventer in DDT. And we'll see where it leads to the DO. They're in separate blocks. Maybe they could meet in a rematch in the final, you know, who knows? Um, as for me, I like don't really have the same background with like, I guess that kind of wrestling that you do. So of course, a lot of things kind of like went over my head, and I'm also like, it's not usually the wrestling style that I enjoy. But it's like one. This match was like something that like I watched it, and even though it wasn't like my type of match, it was like I could see like it was still great, and that like for someone who does love that type of match, it would clearly be like you have to watch this because yeah. for me, it's like you know, it's it's a lot of it flies over my head, but. You know, I still I still enjoyed it more than I normally I guess enjoy kind of the more this this kind of like match where it's I guess very old school. Um, so yeah, I thought I think everything you said is kind of good because I don't really understand <laughs> I guess or have 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 the the knowledge to kind of like be like oh yeah I under I get what they're referencing yeah. Uh, the main event for the KOD Openweight title, Tetsuya Endo defeats Taisuke Sasaki with the Shooting Star Press in 2748, his third defense for Endo. Um, so what my position on the Akiyama-Takashita match I think is pretty typical, but I, again, I'm way higher this match than a lot of people I've seen. I thought this was even slightly better than, like, like going into this... Oh, sorry, what were you going to say? You know, I thought it was, like, definitely, it's, like, I was... Like, honestly, I love the match so much that I was, like, tearing up at the end. But I'm also, like, really deeply, like, I love, like, Damnation so much. So I figured, like, I'd be way higher on the match than most people were. Yeah, I mean, I, but, lo- I uh, love Damnation too, but it's definitely, this match was, I thought this match was incredible, though. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, the the match itself, like, the, just the Damnation Civil War aspect of it, where, like, 
you know, for people don't know the story, Endo got to name his own opponent because he won King of DET. He initially wanted Kenny Omega, but uh, thankfully the gamer could not get in the country because of COVID. So, <laughs> uh, so he named Sasaki instead. And Sasaki claimed he would he'd retire if he lost. Although, who, who the fuck knows with him? As we found out, that would be true. Uh, but yeah, the 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 match here, basically, like, Endo turned on Sasaki. Uh, well, Sasaki turned on Endo first, actually. Sasaki turned on Endo leading up to it and tried to kick him out of damnation. And the rest of the group turned on Sasaki and was like, no, we're siding with Endo, actually. So, you know, they kick him out. And the, Endo even says, you know, the inverse of the, the famous damnation slogan. He says, now we can kiss ass, conform, and get married, which was such a great line. Uh, but yeah, it was just a really amazing build. But yeah, so Sasaki has this, like, that black eye makeup, like he's in murder mode, I guess, and he gets really vicious right from the start using a chair on Endo's leg up against the post. Um, the other Damnation members do get involved, and they hold Sasaki for like this beautiful space-flying tiger drop from Endo. Um, I will say he does that Osprey thing of like holding his leg in severe pain after hitting a perfect leaping move, but not great, but at least it's coming after like two minutes of leg work instead of 15, like in some of those Osprey matches. Uh, because this is all really early in the match, too. You know, there's this really nice flip dive from Sasaki from the top rope all the way to the floor. Uh, just after the 10-minute mark, it, like, really wiped out Endo, and they both landed hard. And they do this, like, really cool, like, high-speed, like, avoiding sequence that ends with, uh, like, they both keep avoiding each other's moves before Endo finally gets the Canadian Destroyer. Uh, he goes for the Tetsu in the sky, but Sasaki avoids it by holding on the ropes. He goes for, like, a Rana or maybe the La Mystica under a crossface, but, like, Endo catches him in midair, tries to turn it into a tombstone, but Sasaki counters it into a pile driver zone with his legs? Like, I don't even know how to, like, again, it, it's one of these things I'm going to have a hard time describing because I've never seen anything like it, but he basically, in midair, like, hits a pile driver with his, with his legs. I mean, that's really the closest way I can describe it. It looked fucking awesome. And it was like a, that sequence had to be so hard to pull off perfectly, and they pulled it off perfectly. So, um, Sasaki gets the cross face, Endo manages to reverse into a cradle, and then, like, lifts him straight up into a powerbomb for a two-count. Great counter. Uh, goes for the shooting star press, but Sasaki rolls to the apron to escape, and Endo goes after him, but eventually eats a pedigree on the apron. That looked brutal. Uh, mm. and then that followed up with the crazy elbow drop, where, you know, Sasaki, you know, he, he, Gets Endo in a chair, sitting behind a table, behind the fencing. Endo go or Sasaki goes up to the ring post, almost doesn't even clear the table, but does wipe out both Endo and himself. Uh, they both go fucking flying. That was an insane spot. That could have gone very badly, but you know, luckily. Yeah, from- I, I, I like literally jumped out of my seat like <laughs> when that happened. I was like, oh my god, what uh, are these guys doing? <laughs> After this, the ref gets bumped. Uh, Sasaki tries to use a chair on Endo. Endo goes to use on Sasaki while he's kneeling down. Uh, Mad Polly comes up from behind him, though, and rips the chair out of his hands. So we get some damnation drama here. Uh, Sasaki low blows Endo, and then Polly gives Endo a forearm shot, apparently deciding to turn on him here. Uh, it would all be okay at the end, but at the, the, the time I was like, oh no, Polly's turning on Endo. They're so. Oh yeah. They're so sweet together. But it's very. Uh, it was very, very, very bothering. It bothersome, I guess. I was very worried about the endo poly pairing apparently ending, but I, I, I was, I was also like, I was like, 
feeling so like this entire match like my emotions were like on high yeah. and, like so that moment i was like no <laughs> uh but yeah so sasaki like wears him out with that chair breaks it over his head signals that it's over and gives him the spitting that spitting drop thing he does goes for the cross face again and yamato revives the ref uh to check if endo wants to tap out but endo does make the ropes um we see the the but they do a bunch of other stuff uh tetsi in the sky from endo for a two count right around the 25 minute mark uh and then both guys end up just like trading punches in the, to the face right in the middle uh, Suzaki gets the better of it, hits a big super kick, but he can't take Endo down to the mat with the cross face again. Uh, Endo comes back with some headbutts and a big flipping kick, and then gets his half Nelson driver that just drops Sasaki right on his neck. Uh, but somehow Sasaki kicks out too, and then he looks like he's out even as he kicks out, <laughs> which I thought was like a great, great selling here from Sasaki. Uh, and referee Matsui is like trying to wave his hand in front of his face, just like checking to see if he's still there. And then Endo grabs him, gives him a hug, which I can see that being too hokey for some people. And again, like, you know, it gave me flashbacks to, like, Sean and Flair and not in a good way. But, you know, I mean, for the story, I think it worked. Uh, I, I, I was, you know, on in tears by that, at that <laughs> when that happened. So uh, I think it worked. Endo hits one last big headbutt and finally the shooting star press off the top and that gets the pen. Uh, yeah, this is like a roller coaster match. I can see people... If like look, if you're not invested in the damnation story, then maybe like I said, maybe like I said, the ending will be too hokey for you, and a lot of the other stuff will be a little too like whatever. But I thought this was awesome. I went four and a half. Uh, they bumped their asses off, destroyed each other, really went out there to have a real classic. I think they succeeded. Um, and like I said, I thought it was just a tad better than Takashita Akiyama. Um, you know, and, and really the last four matches in the show take it into being a really great show. You know. Not not the best show we're going to talk about, amazingly, but, you know, a really, really good show. Um, afterwards, Sasaki does tease retiring. Uh, he tells Yamato to ring the bell ten times for him, and Yamato's like, seriously? But Endo stops him. They have a big reunion. Endo basically says, you know, I had to do this to you to get you to take this match seriously, otherwise you would just goofed off. And they, they do... Sasaki's back in damnation. And that honestly works for me. I'm very happy with that. And then Shuji Ishikawa, yeah. Shuji shows up to serenade them, which is so great. Uh, I love that. It was so awesome. Um, but yeah, there's there you go. And Sasaki did clarify at the end uh, the Charisma Farewell Tour. He's going to live with the stipulation. The Charisma Farewell Tour starts tomorrow and it will run until 2080. So he's <laughs> living up to the stipulation. <laughs> he has to retire if he's lost. Uh, did you see, by the way, the last shot for the credits? Oh yeah, with the with the two of them. <laughs> yeah, so they they do the walking walking the back. They do the into the light credits with an all time great gag at the end. They're walking down the hallway together. Endo has his belt and his giant winner's check for two million yen, and Sasaki tries to grab the check from him <laughs> at the last possible second because he always took his money back in the day. Uh, and Endo fight takes it right back. Just an amazing amazing joke. Like, I thought Sasaki was going to, like, pat him on the shoulder at first, but I should have known better. (laughs) It was so great. But, yeah, awesome main event, awesome show. Yeah. um, I was just, like, like, I was literally, like, crying at the end, like, when they're doing the whole, like, reunion thing, and I was, like, I I was was truly a mess. Um, I just, I thought 
the entire show is great and like I guess as someone who is like so invested in damnation like it really felt like the perfect kind of very very satisfying like and beyond that ending for I guess this chapter in their kind of story um which you know it's like in contrast to like New Japan where it's like you know which before I was talking about like you know how frustrated I am and I'm like I feel very unsatisfied by like you know the way things kind of end there this is like the complete opposite like this is perfect for me yeah i mean it was very it is kind of funny that you have a big heartwarming ending with the heel unit but uh that's just how things have gone you know so they're not fighting i mean they're the most popular unit in the promotion so i mean you know no need to fight it i guess uh the final show we're going to talk about is the tokyo joshi pro wrestle princess show from today or yesterday november 7th from tokyo dome city hall uh, this was another incredible show. This is a show where, like, people told me over and over again it was a show of the year contender before I could actually watch it. And it's one of these things where, like, if you get told that repeatedly before you watch a show, it can color your expectations in a bad way where it can't live up to it. But by the time I finished, I was like, oh, yeah, this was a show of the year contender. I mean, <laughs> this really was an incredible show. Uh, yeah, it was It was perfect. It was amazing. Uh, the show opened with... Oh, sorry, we got, Gonna add to that? No, no, no. Okay. The show opened with Suzume and Sena Shiori mm-hmm. defeating Moka Miyamoto and Mei Saruga from Gato Move. Uh, when Suzume pinned Miyamoto with the Ring of Bell in 1209. Um, this got like a surprising amount of time, at least to me. Maybe it's because yeah. Mei was in from Gato Move or something. Maybe that's why they got so much time. But like the other three T- Tokyo Joshi wrestlers are all rookies. So I just wasn't expecting it to be, you know, that, that long. That's 12, even 12 minutes. Uh, Suzume eventually pinned Moko with the, the ring of bell. Like I said, that's a cutter, basically. But yeah, good little match. Everybody worked hard. I would say like three stars. May, uh, yeah. Mei is awesome. So have you never seen her before? I love her. Yeah. I, I was excited when I saw she was on the card. So, uh, I hope this, you know, people watch it and also love her and then check out Gato Move because, I mean, it's on YouTube. It's not that hard to find the matches. So I think think if you loved her in this and you've never seen her before you should go you know look her up on youtube indeed she's really great uh match two palm harajuku and mahiro kiryu defeating marika kobashi and haruna neko uh mahiro pinned neko with the spine buster in 901 uh first of all it's just really great to have marika back uh she was one of my faves before she left for the understandable reason of focusing on school but yeah, she had some really good like tag title matches in particular. Like, you know, she she and uh, Reika Psyche briefly held the tag titles back in 2018. So I've never seen that step. I thought they had some really good matches together. Um, but yeah, Mar- Marika seemed really into the cat gestures with Neko here. Like she was like, really <laughs> yeah. into doing the cat gestures here. Uh, I will say Mahiro having to sell for Neko looked a little absurd <laughs> sometimes because Neko is so tiny. And Mahiro is one of these people, I think she's only like 5'5", five, five, but, like, she looks even taller than she actually is, I guess because of, like, her body proportions. Like, she has a really, like, long upper body or something. So, mm-hmm. she just looks... It looks kind of cra- kind of absurd when, like, Neko is, like, beating her up, basically. But, you know. Um, My hero, though, eventually does fight off Neko 
and pin her with a spine buster for the win. Uh, so yeah, I would say this was just a match. Uh, I would have liked to see more uh, Marika than Neko, to be honest. I would say like two and a half. You know, probably the weakest match on the show, I think. Um, yeah, same. I mean, what did I? I mean, like one thing that I guess is funny for me as someone who's like really into Japanese fashion is that you have. Uh, the, like, Harajuku-style girl versus, like, the Shibuya-style girl, who's Marika, like, the the Gyaru-style. So, like, for me, it was, like, really funny. But I think beyond that, yeah, it's kind of like, you know, it's not bad, but it's not, like, something you'd go back to watch. So so Marika, that's what the gal style is like nowadays? Well, I mean, that's... Well, I guess it's kind of always been like that. Like, her style makes me think of, like, um, you know, like... Ayumi Hamasaki, uh-huh. the, the the singer. Mm-hmm. I guess that's kind of how she dressed in like the the like two thousands. I see. And I guess that was kind of the 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 gal style. I guess from two thousands though. I guess it's still kind of people still kind of dress like that. It's you know changed over the years, but like that's what her look makes me think of is like Ayumi Hamasaki. And then like well like how pump dresses isn't really like how people in Harajuku dress. She's just you know, dressing like that because she's like a Kyari Pamu Pamu gimmick. Mm. So it's still it's still kind of like you know, like Harajuku is seen as weird, and then Gyaru is seen as like you know trendy, I guess. Mm-hmm. So to me, it was just funny. I want to say, by the way, some breaking news. Uh, they announced some of the shows, some of the matches for Wrestle Kingdom. So to confirm, it is night one: Naito versus Ibushi. For both titles, and then the winner will face Jay White on night two. So there's no announcement about anything else for Jay White on night one, but there you go. And then they also put Okada Osprey on night one because we were speculating earlier, but uh, I wanted to point that out just because uh, you know it's uh, it what, what our speculations already outdated. So you know, yeah. Uh, that's... Now, now, honestly, now though, I'm not sure if Naito or Ibushi is going to win. I see so, what Ibushi. I guess at win. least that's good. I see what Ibushi's going to win. I guess we'll say. I assume this is set up for him winning it, winning it all, and then beating, vanquishing Jay White at the end of it. But uh, let's see, match number three here on Wrestle Princess, the International Princess Tournament semifinal. Hikari Noah defeats Mariah Mayaumi with the Blizzard Suplex in nine forty four. Um, first of all, I just like I like the hype video for these two matches a lot. I don't know, just really, yeah. uh, really well done hype video, but. Mariah, like, her big thing is working as the more powerful wrestler. And, you know, as always, she was really good at it here. She was just, like, throwing Hikari Noah all over the place. And, you know, Hikari's very good at being the fiery underdog. So it was a good combo here. Uh, there was this pretty amazing kick out where, like, uh, Mariah hit her with this, like, really hard lariat. And instead of a normal kick out, she, like, you know, Hikari Noah, like, twists her neck out at the last possible second. Uh, it was really cool. It's a really, really cool little near fall. Yeah. In a way you don't normally say. Uh, Noah comes back with a big super kick that takes uh, Mariah's head off, and then a bridging Blizzard suplex for the pin. Uh, this was quite good, I thought. Maybe the only thing I think took it down a little bit is the ending felt a little anticlimactic because you know Mariah basically killed over the entire match, and then Noah just hit one super kick and one suplex, and it felt like okay, that was it. But uh, <laughs> I do really love Mariah though, so maybe that that could be my bias talking there. Uh, but I thought this was three and a half star match. Good match, uh, you know. Definitely enjoyed it. 
Yeah, I basically felt the same, you know. I had I liked watching it and uh normally in the past like I haven't been really big on Hikari, like I like her, but some people on Twitter like, like... some people on Twitter seem to be obsessed with her, I've noticed. Like people <laughs> she has like a real big fan base. And yeah, she's, yeah, never, she's well... never been one of my fave faves either, but I like her. Yeah, but like I feel like in this match I started to like I guess kind of enjoy her matches more like I felt like her matches in this show I enjoyed more than like anything I've seen from her before mm -hmm. so I, I think that's a good thing you know that she's you know continually improving yeah uh the fourth match was the other international princess title tournament semifinal uh Yuki Kamifuku defeated Shoko Nakajima with the fame asser in 922 um this was this was just kind of there for me a lot of the way it did feature, like, a really nice closing sequence with uh, Shoko. You know, she kept nearly rolling up her much larger opponent a few times with some really close Rana near falls before Yuka, or Yuki finally puts her away with two straight fan masters for the pin. Uh, you know, big win for Yuki, but probably the biggest of her career. Even I mean, you know, I guess you could say winning the title was the biggest win of her career, but, like, you know, Shoko is a top-level former champion, so... Uh, but yeah, I mean, this was, you know, I went two and three quarters. It was a kind of an average match before the finishing sequence, which I thought was really good. But the crowd seemed like legit shocked by Yuki winning here. <laughs> so it got a big reaction for the COVID era. Uh, so Yeah, um, I mean, I'm like, uh, I really love Kamiyu a lot. So I was really excited that she won. So I, was, I, I think I liked the match a lot more than you did. Um, I I just love how she gets like, you know, like, like in this match in particular, she got like really... What was it? Um, aggressive at some points, um, just like really like kicking the shit out of her. And I always, I always like when I guess people get the shit kicked out of them. <laughs> um, you know, like like kicking. I mean, my favorite's Ibushi, so obviously I really like kicking. Um, also, I want to comment on Kamiyu's new gear because it's amazing. It's it's like glam denim <laughs> which is incredible yeah also like her like lace up like uh like you know thigh highs or whatever no one else has gear that looks like that i think it's i think it's fantastic yeah it's uh it is something <laughs> that is for sure definitely stands out uh yeah match number five was yuna manase defeating raku with a short-range lariat in 9.17. Uh, started out with some really funny comedy where Raku acted like she wanted a handshake at the start, but when Yuna goes to shake her hand, she just goes to sleep. And then referee Matsui calls for the bell to ring, but also decides to go to sleep, which is very <laughs> funny. Uh, Yuna stomps Matsui to wake him up, uh, tries to do the same to Raku, but Raku keeps like rolling out of the way, like catches her foot, uh, and then tries for the Good Night Express, but uh, Manase interrupts it with a lariat. Um... Yeah, you, the, the finish was interesting. So Yuna hits this kind of sloppy-looking facebuster thing. It uh, looked really bad, actually. But she pulls Raku up for the three-count and then hits the short-range light for the pin. I wonder if that was planned or if Yuna just realized on the fly that, like, the finish looked shitty and she should do something else. Uh, because that would make her smarter than a lot of wrestlers, honestly. But either way, uh, I wrote three and a quarter. Good little match. You know, started out with heavy yeah. comedy, but fun match even without the comedy. So... Yeah, I guess I mean, it was it was fun, you know. It didn't didn't overstay its welcome or anything. And 
I always I always love Rocket because she's just so like adorable. <laughs> like all her her little like you know, I guess she loves to sleep. Very relatable. Yeah. Very relatable. Uh, match six was incredible. Saki Akai defeats Hyper Misao by knockout with the. Oh god, I can never pronounce this. Do you know how to pronounce your finisher? Because some anime. Uh, it's like Ketsu Kotal or something like that. I'm pretty sure I'm getting it wrong. If she beat her with that in 1349 in the Russell Princess Switch Random Rules match. Okay. So there's a switch in the corner. And when it's like I'm one of the ring posts. And when it's pressed. The rules change at random. So the there's a new rule that replaces an old rule. Uh, the rules were submitted by fans, which is really funny to begin with. We have no idea it's going to happen. Uh, obviously, huge huge thanks again to the GT English Update account for helping with this match especially. Uh, the first set of rules are no kicking, which obviously favors me a lot because kicking is about 95% of Saki Akai's offense, obviously. Uh, Saki immediately hits a big boot. Tries to cover Misao. The ref won't count it. And they argue over whether or not a big boot is a kick. Like, Saki is moaching. Like, no, that's not a kick. And the ref's like, no, that is a kick. Uh, Misao rolls her up from behind during that for a close two count. And then Misao puts her feet on the ropes for a pin. And when the ref won't count, Misao's like, but that's not a kick. <laughs> and the ref is like, that's still illegal. It's not no kicking, but, like, feet on the ropes are allowed. But that was, that was really fucking funny. Uh, the second rule, put your forehead on the bat. They gave them both bats. Turn five times or else your pins won't be counted. And then after you do the spin, five times spin, if the pin is unsuccessful, you must spin again. So, first of all, Saki Akai did not get her fucking forehead anywhere near this bat. So, she should have been well, I mean, she's so tall. She's it's so... like, a, you know, if she bent down that much, it's like, how is she going to spin? Uh, yeah, she really couldn't get her... She could not get her forward on that fucking bat. Uh, see, both are very dizzy. Uh, Misao tries to, like, go for a crossbody and misses her by a mile, like, on purpose, which is really funny. Uh, Saki tries to pin her, and then, but, but since Misao kicks out, she has to spin again. And then Misao starts, like, making her spin faster and keep spinning, which I thought was really funny. Uh, and then tries to roll her up with the pin, but then Saki kicks out, so... Uh, they both spin. She has to spin again too. They both miss more pin attempts. They both have to spin again for the third time. And at that point, they agree. At that point, they hit the button. They both die for the quarter. Like we've had enough of this. And they both hit the button <laughs> to get the third roll. Uh, the third roll falls count anywhere, but pins are only counted after you finish eating a bag of chocolate cream puffs. Uh, first of all, Saki can't open the bag. The crowd actually starts clapping to encourage her to do it, which was really fucking funny. Uh, Misao knocks her away, and then she fucking cheats. She had to eat one uh, cream puff. She takes her bag of cream puffs and pours all of them into Saki's bag, which, first of all, I'm shocked they all fit in there. Second of all, that's a great plan, but she forgot one detail, which is Saki from the outside, can just walk over and hit the button on the post to make a new rule. And she realizes the last second, she's like, oh no, it like dives over. And the crowd's like laughing so hard. And Saki just calmly hits the button to get a new rule. Uh, the fourth rule, each wrestler gets a helping hand in the match. Saki's helper is her stable mate, slash maybe boyfriend, uh, slash KOD six-man tag team partner, uh, Yukio Sakaguchi. 
which me sounds like very concerned, which I would be too if uh, yeah. if this, this fucking Yakuza-looking guy came down to help my partner. But her helper is Shinshiro Takagi, which she seems greatly pleased by. Uh, Takagi brings the, this new DT Extreme title belt with him, does this whole fire thing, the, the big match entrance with the post, only to immediately get attacked by Sakaguchi. Uh, Sakaguchi and Takagi, they square off with bats, okay? And then <laughs> Sakaguchi knocks Takagi's bat away. Takagi begs him to stop because he has a 10-year-old daughter. I don't know why it's got so deep all of a sudden. But Sakaguchi says, I'm going to kill you and become the president. And then he stabs him with the bat, samurai style. And as this is all happening, Misao walks over and calmly hits the button again. And the two of them head to the back, which was, again, so fucking funny. The fifth rule, last woman standing match. Our first normal rule, I guess you could say, a standard 10 count, but ends up being the, the last rule of the match. Uh, and this is where they, like, Saki really gets her kicks going. She takes Misao's head off with a high kick. Uh, Misao comes back with a big double underhook face buster, uh, very similar like the Chris Daniels Angels wings. We get a big double count. They both barely beat the 10 count. And then Saki hits her wacky cradle buster thing, the whatever you said before, the quizzical or whatever. Uh, the crowd... Yeah, something like that, I think. The crowd claps for Misao to recover, and she almost pulls it off, but she can't quite pull herself back to her feet. So Saki wins. This fucking ruled. I mean, I'm sure some of you listening will probably not like it because, you know, you're dorks and you don't like any comedy, but I had so much fun with this match. It's like the best comedy match I've seen in forever. It still had a lot of really good wrestling, too, especially at the end. Four stars. Very easy four stars. Highly recommended if you can enjoy comedy wrestling. Just had so much fucking fun with this match. I I absolutely loved it. I love. I mean, I love everything about Hyper Misao's like character. How she's like, I'm a hero, but then she always like cheats and shit. <laughs> and I think she did that perfectly here. Like when she had the cream puffs bag, and of course, like the cream puffs is like you know like a reference all the way back for Hyper Misao. Uh, she had it in both her match versus. Uh, oh my god, I'm like uh, Jun Kasai. Uh, and then I think she had it in her match against from last year when she was like evil Misao against uh, Tatsumi Rika. So it's kind of like I guess a re- reoccurring thing with her with the Choco Puffs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's that was kind of like when I saw the Choco Puffs, I was like, oh, this again. I thought it was funny to to kind of have that reference. Um, But, yeah, I mean, there's also kind of, like, the meta thing of how Saki, uh, you know, she she, uh, has somewhat of a resemblance to uh, (laughs) the former mentor of Misa back when she was evil, uh, Saki-sama. So I was like, you know, I wonder wonder if that that, uh, crossed Misa's mind at any point. They're, they're, uh, they're, uh, I mean, like, not only exactly the same, but similar, you know? <laughs> Saki, like, consoling her at the end was so cute, too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Awesome, awesome match. Afterward, we get some, some info on the next Tokyo Joshi shows. Uh, Saki-sama, speaking of her, some, somehow, I don't know how she she's getting to the country from France during this, but she, she found a way. Uh, she's returning on the November 14th Shinkiba show. I think they said it was a one-time appearance. Uh, and then on November 20th, we get Hyper Missile versus uh, Super Sasha Tango Machine, which I can't wait for that. Should be incredible. I'm so excited for that. Yeah. 
Uh, match number seven here on this 10-match show. Uh, Miyu Yamashita and Aja Kong defeat Maki Ito and Sari when Yamashita pins Ito with the Crash Rabbit Heat in 1701. Uh, you know, again, following up that awesome comedy match with an awesome, you know, old-school Joshi tag. I mean, just awesome action here. Um, Maki, like, trying to hold her own with Aja Kong was, like, a highlight early on. Like, at one point, she starts crying, I guess, but like she then just, like, slaps Aja in the face before Aja just, like, calmly resumes killing her. But then Aja, like, breaks out the, the steel garbage can and starts hitting Ito on the head with it. But Ito has a very hard head because she has a big head. And it, she goes nuts and starts, like, hitting herself in the head with it repeatedly for some reason. Just very, very frightening, honestly. Uh, but then, you know, Miyu and Sari have the kind of, like, really hard-hitting battle you would expect from those two. You know, they just, like, kick the crap out of each other. There's one point where Miyu hits, like, this, like, falling kick to Ceri's like, midsection that I was like, my God, I would hate to take that. That looks like it, looks like it sucked. You know, for Ceri, I mean. I mean, just, like, yeah. killed her. Uh, but Ceri gets her receipt, I guess, because she gets this ridiculous drop kick to the face while Miyu is leaning up against the ropes. Like, murders her. And then gets a nice fisherman suplex hole for a two count uh, before Ito finally tags back in. And Miu, you know, takes out Ito at the end of the Crash Rabbit Heat to end a really great, stiff as hell tag match. I want four stars on this as well. Really awesome tag match here. Uh, yeah, I I greatly enjoyed it. Um, I loved how it's like, like it started out, like there's kind of like those funny th- moments where it's like, you know, like, when, like, Ito slapped Aja Kong and you're, like, you know that she's about to, like, die and stuff. But, like, as it went on, it was, like, more, like, it was just a really intense wrestling match. And, uh, you know, it had, like, I guess a little bit of both. So it was, you know, a good balance of, of comedy and wrestling. Um, and, yeah, I saw it was really great. Um, also, I just, every time I watch Mew, I'll, like, the way, I don't know what it is, but, like, the way she does her moves i'm always like i always like kind of feel it myself yeah. <laughs> it, it looks like it looks like it hurts i mean Mia looks like uh, she kills people i mean that's how yeah. she, it looks like she just kicks people as hard as you can uh, yeah and then she's like of course out of the ring the complete opposite yeah yeah it's really funny uh before the intermission which followed this match we get some big announcements uh first of all we're getting four corkins just in the first half of 2021, which is kind of crazy. They only used to do three of these all year. Uh, it's going to be January 4th, February 11th, April 17th, and May 4th. We also got the announcement that Russell Princess 2 will be from Oda Ward Gym next year, a slightly bigger building, and that'll be from on October 9th. Because I, I don't think I even mentioned this. This was on this was at Tokyo Dome City Hall, which is like that weird building they booked they built near Tokyo Dome that a lot of people first thought was going to be like the replacement for Korokin, but. Um, it just it holds too many people, I guess, to be a regular a regular building like Corkin is for a lot of these companies, and it's probably way more expensive. So, you know, there really haven't been that many wrestling shows here. Like I know Wrestle One ran it for their very first show, and some other companies have run it over the years, but really not that often. I think that's where New Japan ran their. Oh no, that was from that uh, TV SIE building. So yeah, I don't, it was. Uh, I was going to say those the 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 first. Uh, you know, pandemic, no people shows, but that was TBS, I studio or whatever. Uh, but yeah, you know, I've seen Russell one shows there. Um, I think some other Joshi companies have run it a few times, but really not that often. 
after the intermission, we get introduced to Alice Endo, who is a new trainee who was in the same uh, Cheer 1 group that Reika Psyche used to be in, you know, the the Cheer 1, uh, the people that danced, basically, the girls that danced at the start of Wrestle 1 shows. Uh, now Kakutu, or Kakuta, <laughs> now Kakuta from Actress Girl Z is, uh, or Actress Girls, I guess. <laughs> I don't know why I said Z. Uh, but she's, it's like Sakura Shikawa Z. Uh, now Kakuta from Actress Girls is also joining the company as a roster member, a promotion I do not watch, as you can probably tell by me butchering their name. But so I've never seen a roster before, I don't think. But uh, I don't think you like it's. You can like either. That's watch right. Them. Yeah, they only release DVDs or something, right? I think they don't. Yeah. They're never on TV or anything. So. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, so she's. People said maybe she'll form a tag team with Haruna Neko since. Uh, uh, now has also had a cat-themed gimmick in the past, but her last costume, apparently, in Actress Girls, also had gotten rid of all the cat stuff. So I guess we'll see. But, uh, yeah, there you go. She's she's another new addition here. Uh, match number eight, the International Princess Tournament Final. Yuki Kamifuku defeating Hikari Noah with the Diving Fame Master in 756. So Yuki is now the fifth International Princess Champion. Um... You know, I thought this was pretty good, but really not much more than that. Uh, you know, this both girls, I don't know, maybe looked a little tired or something, but it just didn't hit me on a like big, big level here. Uh, I went like three and a quarter, but it was a pretty, pretty good match. But like, you know, maybe not what I was expecting for a title final or whatever. But I'm still really happy for Yuki because like she has worked super hard. She deserves this. I mean, she was fucking horrible when she, when she first started. And she herself would tell you that. She, you know, she told me that honestly when I, uh, you know, did her English lesson thing once or Japanese lesson, I should say. But you know, she's perfectly fine now. She's a perfectly, perfectly good wrestler. So uh, she's worked really hard to get that to get to that point. But yeah, I would only go about three and a quarter. But uh, good little match, and I'm happy for Kamiyu. Uh I I definitely uh, like enjoyed this match. I think more than you did. I loved it more. Um... I, I, to me, it's like, I guess what's interesting about this match is like the two of them, it's like have never, they've never held singles titles before um, in Tokyo Joshi Pro. They're both kind of like, I guess, you know, still kind of like establishing themselves. You know, they're not like, uh, uh, what do you say? They're, they're still like, I guess, growing a lot as wrestlers all of the time. And so it's kind of like, you could feel, I guess, their, I guess, determination to, you know, finally hold, like, the singles title. Um, and, yeah, I mean, they definitely seemed a little tired, but, I mean, it kind of made sense because they had already wrestled in the show. So it didn't really, like, bother me. And I think it kind of, even in a way, added to it because they were still, like, you know, hitting hitting really hard. And uh, I guess they start like, they started in a off even like pretty aggressive so you could really like feel i guess uh how, how badly they wanted this and as a kami Yu fan i was really excited that she won um and uh yeah i really loved it uh match semi-final the princess tag team titles uh the bakaretsu sisters nadoka tenma and yuki aino defeating the team of Rika Tatsumi and Miyu Watanabe. Uh, I know pinning Watanabe at the UBV in 1701. 
So Daydream, as that team is known, fails in their fifth defense, and the Bakaretsu sisters become the sixth princess tag team champions. Uh, I thought this was a good match. You know, the, a lot of nice power stuff from the Bakaretsu sisters, and I know especially has gotten like quietly good at just like tossing people around. Um, you know, she puts Yamashita away at the or not Yamashita. What am I talking about? Uh, she puts Watanabe away at the end with her big double underhook face buster, which is the uh, you know the UBV. Um, but yeah, it was a good match. It did, never quite got to the next level for me. I don't know if I was just like a little burnt out in the show at this point and ready for the main event. But I only went three and a half. I saw a lot of people give it a lot higher, so maybe I should go back and watch it again. But it was still a good match, and I, it was really cool to see the sisters get like so emotional at the end. They were just so happy, especially uh, Yuki Aino, you know, who obviously worked a long time to achieve like something this level. So yeah, um, I mean, I didn't feel burnout because, like, you know, when I watched it live, I just, the entire second half. I didn't watch live. Mm. So it's like I had like a, a long break of like, you know, like a whole day. So it was still fresh for me. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. This match uh, was really like, I guess for me, it felt really fast paced. Like I like, you know, like I take the take a lot of notes when I when I'm watching and like going to be on here. Um, and I normally I can just kind of take notes and not have to pause. And, like, it's fine. But this, like, I actually was, like, pausing during the match because I was, like, writing something down. And, like, while I was writing, something else cool would happen. And I'd be like, oh, shit. So I just got in the habit of pausing during this. Um, it definitely felt like there was a lot of, like, uh, big moves going on. Um, there was... What was, what was I... Um, Oh, I, uh, oh, there was when Mew lifted both of the, the sisters at the same time to, to, uh, I guess, slam them. Like, I, that to me was like, holy fuck. I wasn't expecting that from her. Um, but that was definitely, I guess, a move that really stood out to me. Um, and yeah, like the ending where they're like crying and stuff, I was like, you know, I was already like feeling the emotions because I knew the match was coming next. And so when they were crying, I was like, Oh, my heart. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. Uh, yeah. The main event here. Now, I said I was a little burnt out that during that tag title match. This main event was so amazing. It got me back and then some. Uh, Yuka Sakazaki defeating Mizuki with the magical girl Niwari, uh, Niwatori Yaro and 25-37 for the fourth defense for Yuka. Uh, this I, I, this match was incredible. I mean, like, up, yeah. up there with uh, a couple of Miyu Yamashita, or not Miyu Yamashita, a couple, uh, oh God, why am I blanking? <laughs> Don't you love when you just blank on a person's name in the middle of a podcast, everybody? Uh, the stardom, God, the fucking stardom world champion. I don't watch stardom, so I don't okay. know. Okay. <laughs> Mayu Yamashita, there we go. I kept saying Miyu Yamashita. Uh, a couple Mayuri Ritani matches. Uh, I'm thinking specifically the Sari match. Or not Sari, the uh the first match with uh Wow, I'm really I'm really having a bad <laughs> a couple of my a couple uh Mayuri Ritani matches. <laughs> anyway, I guess I I guess I'm tired, folks. I'm sorry. But yeah, it's up there in a couple of different Mayuri Ritani matches as my favorite uh Joshi matches of the year. Uh the, definitely remember the Mayu and Starlight Kid match from the 
uh, from that from the Stardom tournament. So the five star. Uh, anyway, the this match though, this is just as good as those. Probably uh, maybe even a little bit better. Just an incredible match. You know, they start out with this like really aggressive, like mat wrestling, like really rolling around with neither of them able to get a clear advantage. Uh, Yuka has like a wardrobe malfunction here, and like oh, I was freaking out. I was like. <laughs> I was like, I'm like, this is already like really intense, like the way they're grappling, and somehow like, I was like, but because of the wardrobe malfunction, it's even more like, oh my god, oh my god, <laughs> was like freaking out on two. I was like, freaking out on like two levels, like one like, oh, this is like so good, and then also like, oh no, something bad's about <laughs> to happen. And I was like, my mind was was overwhelmed. But yeah, before we got anything too graphic, thankfully. Uh, Yuka was able to, like, just hold... She basically held Mizuki under her knee while she, like, tied her thing back on, which was kind of funny. I wouldn't call that a botch, just an interesting little moment, you know? Um, yeah. Later on, we get this, like, this big counter drop kick from Mizuki when Yuka, you know, comes off the top rope. And then Yuka rolls to the floor. Mizuki does this... You know, oh, no, Mizuki does this big cross body uh, while Yuka's on the apron that sends her to a nasty spell to the floor. And then Mizuki goes all the way up top and double stomps Yuka all the way from the top rope to the floor. Uh, that seemed to hurt Yuka's foot, but thankfully not too bad. But yeah, that was a crazy double stomp. And just the start of many double stomps to come, which yeah. I'm like, Yuka, Yuka's stomach's going to hurt tomorrow. That's all I can say. Uh, yeah. Get a vicious double stomp back in the ring where Yuka is like hanging in the middle ropes and Mizuki stomps her again. Uh, Mizuki goes for another one off the top, but Yuka rolls out of the way and just, like, slams her down with this counter, almost like a Northern Lights bomb that looked really nasty. Uh, we get a top rope face buster, or a complete shot, as the announcers call it, from Yuka. Uh, Mizuki, like, counters Yuka when she had her held up in midair with this, like, brutal-looking takedown to her cross face, because it's, like, there's almost like a La Mystica, but to the face. Like, it looked really, really nasty. Uh, Yuka's able to get out when Mizuki tries to roll her back toward the center and applies an STF instead. Really awesome counter. Uh, but Mizuki's able to get out of that as well. Uh, and then Mizuki hits this crazy spinning crossbody. Like, I, I, don't, like, I don't know how to describe this. She just spun, like, a million times in midair. I know. I was, I was like, it looked like, like something that you'd see in, like, an anime or something. It didn't even look like, how is this really happening? It was fucking crazy. Uh, it was crazy. She heads up top and gets another double stomp off the top rope. Uh, Yuka is a trooper because this can't be pleasant. And she gets kicked out of two. And then when Mizuki tries to follow up, Yuka suddenly comes back to life and gets her big spitting slam thing. I don't know the name of, but I'm sure it probably has a name. She collapses afterwards, though. And then both girls are doing like this incredible job selling the utter, utter exhaustion and just beaten da- how beaten down they are. Uh, especially thinking of when like Mizuki was, like, leaning over just before Yuka, like, absolutely killed her with a sliding lariat. Just great selling there. Uh, and then she follows up with a big roaring elbow, another face buster before going for the Magical Girl Splash, uh, where she gets to the back just for the 25-minute call. She goes up again, goes for the 450 version, and hits it, and she covers, and that's the pin. I did not expect that. I really thought Mizuki was going to win, honestly. I don't know if you did going in or not, but... Uh... I was... I honestly was, like, not sure what was going to happen. So I was kind of, like, I'm, I'm, like, more of a Yuka fan. So I was, like, partially like, I'm more, I'm more of a Yuka fan, time, too. At the same time, I was, like, it wouldn't really cool if M- Mizuku won. So I was, like, 
kind of like, I mean, either either way I would be happy. So, but I guess when uh, Yuko won, I was like, oh good, I, continue, I can continue to see her title matches. I was yeah. happy about that. Yeah, this match fucking rolled. I mean, these two girls... It was amazing. They murdered each other, especially Mizuki at all those double stomps and just... I don't know. I was pretty hyped for it going in. It more than lived up to it. A four and a half star match. Amazing match. Uh, you know, really put the show over the top at the end here. Not, I mean, the whole show was really good. It was really the kind of show you will enjoy start to finish. But, like, having this level of match at the end definitely puts it over the top to a, uh, like, show of the year contender, I think. Uh, really, really incredible match. A really awesome show. And the tearful end, too. Everybody coming out and crying. And, you know, just a really great ending. Yeah, one thing I was, like, thinking about during the end is that, like, normally in, like, wrestling uh, companies, you have, like, you know, your heels and your faces, whereas, like, with Tokyo Joshi Pro, like, even though there's people who, like, cheat and stuff, and then, like, people who are a little bit more honorable, it doesn't really feel like, oh, like, people are, like, at war with each other. It has more of a feeling of, like, I guess these, like, women kind of coming together and, like, having, like, rivalries that, like, push each other. Mm-hmm. I guess instead, um, I guess that kind of made me think of like I guess like uh, oddly enough like idol groups where like you kind of have that like people always like you know like they're friend like friendly rivals or it's not friendly rivals is the best word like there's rivalries but like they don't like hate each other um, and I guess I re- that's one of the things about Tokyo Joshi that I really love like. There's always this, like, sense of, like, I guess, like, kind of positivity around this and, like, a sense of, of like, love for wrestling. Um, and I guess, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but uh, I think that's one of the things that makes Tokyo Joshi really unique and really great to watch and always uplifting. You always feel like after their shows, I always feel really happy. Yeah, it's, a, it, it's just such a great, it's such a, like, really it's a happy show. It's a great way to put it, you know? And I, I definitely, I was thinking about the exact same thing you just mentioned. Like, I remember thinking early in the show, I'm like, wow, with, without Saki-sama, there's no heels in this company. <laughs> it's, it is yeah. kind of, it is kind of amazing. I mean, the, I'm trying to think what the closest thing to a heel would be. I guess Misao would be the, because she cheats, but I still wouldn't call her a, yeah. I still wouldn't call her a heel. Yeah, she's not really a heel. She's just kind of like a, a bit of a, a, a rascal, I yeah. guess. There's, there are some, like, rascal characters, but I wouldn't call any... I wouldn't really say there's any heel characters. So it's a very unique yeah. promotion in that way. Because um, even among other Joshi companies... I don't know. Maybe maybe that is a thing in other companies. I mean, you know, Stardom obviously has a lot of... Has plenty of heels. They have a way to tie, uh, who are all heel. Um, I don't know about anybody in the company. I don't really watch that many other... I mean... Hmm. Let me think about this. I haven't watched Sendai Girls in forever. Yeah, maybe this is a Joshi thing because I don't, I can't think of that many heels in Sunday Girls. There's like outsiders yeah. who are presented heelish, I guess. But uh, yeah. and I don't watch a lot. Of, some probably a question better for uh, another podcast of this network, uh, the Jumping Bomb Audio. You could probably t- answer more about these other promotions. I don't really watch that often. But yeah, it is a very interesting thing to see, especially after New Japan, which obviously does have a lot of heels. Uh, it is a very it is a big contrast here. Promotion that really doesn't have any heels yeah. at all. So, yeah, because it's like you know, it's like they all come together, and it's like all of the roster members like support each other. They're not even like clicky, really. They're just kind of like all one big group who just 
you know, they want to fight each other, but like, you know, because they want to prove themselves, not because they like hate each other. And I think that's really refreshing. Yeah, it's a really different way to do a promotion. That's for sure. All right. So we've gone over two hours here, so we should wrap this up. Uh, but thank you very much for coming on, Haley, and covering all three shows thank here with me. Uh, do you want to uh, plug? Thank you for inviting me. Do you want to plug anything? Um, I guess I'll just plug my Twitter account. Um, I guess you can follow me on Twitter at um, it's uh, Cherry Colored, but it's spelled C H O E R Y Y, and then colored in spelled with the the British way with a U. Um, do note that I do tweet a lot about um, K-pop and also anime, particularly Love Live, because those are things I'm really into. So if you're not into those things, you probably won't want to follow me, but I also do tweet a lot about wrestling. I tweet a lot about DDT and uh, about Ibushi in particular. So if you want to follow me, follow me there. Uh, yeah, I guess that's, that's all I have to plug. All righty. Uh, I totally forgot to do the big Patreon plug I'm supposed to do at the start of the show. So <laughs> I guess I'll plug that here. I got so distracted bearing Donald Trump that I forgot to do that. So uh, the Patreon is at patreon.com slash wrestlingomikase. Uh, if you want to hear the New Japan, Best of Super Junior, and World Tag League, and DDTDO coverage, we're going to cover all three tournaments, every show on the Patreon. Uh, some of the shows will be out here on the free feed. Uh, basically the weekend shows, but like all the other shows will be only on the Patreon. So definitely, if you want to hear me follow, follow along with all those shows, definitely check out the Patreon. It's only $5. It's a hell of a deal, if I do say so myself, for all the audio I put on there. Uh, we've also been doing the one match series lately, where I've been covering matches uh, submitted by patrons. We've done all sorts of stuff. We did a, a match from the original UWF recently. Uh, you know, we've done, we did stuff from Big Japan. We did a uh, a war match from like the early 90s so like all all over the place uh, and that'll be wrapping up this week so you can hear more stuff with a uh a stardom match actually kari kari sane slash kari hojo's debut match in stardom is the next one and we'll be doing a shibata match from new japan as the last one so that'll be a lot of fun and then like i said next week uh next monday november 16th we'll kick off daily coverage of the world tag league and best of super junior and then the following week, we'll kick off daily coverage of the DDT-DO. So every single show that's not covered on the free feed will be on the Patreon only. So definitely check that out. Uh, next week on the free feed, we'll have... I don't have a guest yet. i got to line one up still. So I guess I better get on that. But we'll be covering the show from November 15th, the opener of both the World Tag League and the Best of Super Junior uh you know, night one, the double night one from Nagoya. We'll also be doing a, a full preview of the DET-DO. So that'll be also on next week's show. So again, New Japan and DET again next week. Uh, in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at WrestleOmikase. Wrestling, of course, would not fit. And thank you as always for listening, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>